The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 235 for Thursday, July 10th, 2014. Our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, our caller number 347-324-3541. All right, so things are running a little a little funky this week. Um, Andrew from GFQ is on vacation, so I'm not able to send video to GFQ.com. So we're sending video to MTR Live. Dot com and using Ustream. I have a Ustream player on the site. So if you guys are watching video on mtrlive.com, do me a favor. Let me know how the Ustream feed looks. I've never done it before via Ustream. I can already see that it's terrible in letterbox format. And um, unfortunately, Ustream doesn't let me do it in HD unless I want to do it, uh, unless I got to pay for it. So Maybe next time we will use a Google Hangout instead, but for the time being, we're going to have to rock with this. I am recording video on the back end, and that video will be put on our YouTube channel, so at least there is that. Again, our call number 347-324-3541. For those tuning in for the first time, uh, My Take Radio is a variety show covering uh, mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. Of course, this this show is rated M for Mature, so if you are under the age of 18 uh, you're on your own (laughs) i see that a couple of our regulars are in the chat i see ben is in the chat i see mortis is in there mortis you can use that chat that chat is a-okay and um, feel free to use that i can actually see the chat window and interact so please use that don't use the mixler chat and don't use the one on ustream because i can't see it so definitely use the one on mtrlive.com how does the video look can somebody let me know how how shitty this video looks on the Ustream feed. How bad is it, I should say? Because I'm sure it's not great. Someone? Bueller? Bueller? Anyone? <laughs> I have a bullet head. Thank you, Slick. <laughs> it is not by choice, guys. Luckily for me... Oh, note to self. Mute the phone, because obviously that doesn't help. All right, much better. So, yeah, Slick says I have a uh, <laughs> bullet head, so thank you very much, Slick. It's out of my control, unfortunately. But 
like I said, I'm recording the regular video in full uh, HD resolution, and that will be on our YouTube channel. So rest easy. At least you guys get that. But I am going to have to work on a solution for situations like this just because obviously we can't account for when uh, our friends at GFQ are on vacation and obviously that causes a bit of an issue anyway all right so what do we got on deck for tonight obviously it's my take radio's five-year anniversary show July 9th 2009 at 11 p.m eastern we debuted on the blog talk radio network in a live format and um, it's, it's been a long journey it's been a crazy ride and, you know, I got a lot of, you know, a lot, a lot of people to thank, a lot of people I'm grateful for. Obviously, our friends at um, the v, VGN, you know, Kevin Baird, Brian, Larry Mack, Jedi, all those guys that were incredibly supportive in the beginning and pretty much gave me the creative, the creative juices to get this whole crazy journey started. Also, of course, Blaine from Born Stubborn Radio, which originally was the crazy shit show um, did a lot of shows with those guys and they just, like I said, they lit the creative spark, which allowed me to obviously be in front of a camera, which is something I never thought I'd be doing. Um, but you know, it, it's been, it's been a great ride. Like I said, we've gone through numerous incarnations of my take Uh, we are on the verge of 5.0 and you know, we got a, a great team, uh, slick, Ben, who who joined us later on in the journey, Jay Santi, uh, Quark Blade, my wife, uh, who's incredibly supportive. Many late nights, she is uh, trying to sleep while I'm doing the show, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, just a, a a lot of great people, of course. Like I said, uh, Quark and Blade, uh, again, who who joined us later on, have been incredibly uh, instrumental in all this stuff. And of course, a lot of our guest contributors, some who started with who started working with us in the beginning and you know who went their own separate ways uh shout out to mist uh mortis who worked with us Ant, and um a couple of guys of course uh shout out to josh from mma valor for always partnering up and working with us and um you know just like i said it, it's been an incredible journey i didn't think five years later i'd still be doing this i i'd be honest it was it, it it's it's been tough you know you wake up and some days you just don't want to write a post on a site or, you know, edit video or edit audio or deal with social media, et cetera, et cetera. You know, just, um, lots of crazy stuff. Uh, GFQ viewer five, one, six, oh, three, our, um, GFQ feed isn't working cause Andrew's on vacation. So head over to mtrlive.com. We got a video feed, a passable video feed running via Ustream. So if you want to watch video there, you can do that. Um, as I was saying, like I said, five years has been a, just a, a wild ride. Like I, I never thought I'd be doing it, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of pumped. I'm kind of glad that we've gotten this far and we've, we've done so much and it's only going to keep growing. So, you know, tonight's show, we're going to talk about all the usual stuff. A lot of our, our a lot of our team is going to stop in. I know Ben wanted to talk about to talk this week's MMA news, which a lot of that stuff is going on. I know Jay is in the chat. I'm sure Slick will join us as well. And, you know, we're just going to try and have a good time um, <laughs> and and try and make it try and make it work as best as possible. Like I said, our GFQ feed is down because Andrew is on vacation. And um, again, I, I'm going to have to repeat that a few times. If you want to watch the video feed, mtrlive.com, scroll to the bottom and there is a Ustream video player set up and you'll be able to watch video that way. Otherwise, 
um, full 720p video will be available on YouTube within the next couple of days. So, all right, now that we got all the the five-year stuff out of the way, a couple of things we're going to do tonight and over the next couple of days, we are going to be giving away some stuff, uh, lots of stuff in the MTR prize closet, which we're going to be giving away either on air or on our Facebook fan page or on Twitter, maybe Google Plus, who knows, but we'll make sure to share it as best as possible on our Facebook fan page and let you guys know what's going on. Obviously, Facebook has been really shitty as of late because, you know, they keep changing the algorithm and it's becoming more and more difficult for us to share our updates with you. So, you know, we're going to have to either start relying more on Twitter or Google Plus or just something that allows us to reach you guys consistently because Facebook, like I said, has made it more and more difficult. A lot of my colleagues that are also running podcasts and vlogs, etc., are feeling the the same pains that I'm feeling in the sense that, you know, they just can't get their message out to you guys. And it's an incredibly huge pain in the ass. Um, one thing I will say, you know, we're going to try, we're going to try and work around that um, with the brand new site. We will be getting a forum, not something that I asked for, just something that will be coming with the new site. So maybe we'll try and grow the forum once again and maybe use that in place of Facebook because like I said Facebook has just become a complete disaster for those that I'm friends with personally that I shared some information about what Facebook wants in order for people to see um, all your content Uh, one of the things that they want to do for a post uh, relating to the show they want you to pay $30 to boost the post so that all 30 almost 3300 3400 fans can see what we're doing so you know, it's 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 crazy stuff, man. It's incredibly frustrating. But we're gonna work through that. A um, couple of other announcement I, announcements I got to get out of the way. There may not be a show next Thursday. Uh, we may be covering an event next Thursday, which will probably consume the bulk of the day. So I don't know if we will be doing a live show that day. But in the event that we don't, maybe we'll do an MTR in sixty, or we'll do something else short term to um, to get everything set up again. There may not be a live show next Thursday, but there'll be there'll be some sort of content, whether it's pre-recorded or not remains to be seen. But we will be doing something just probably not a live show again, schedule permitting as of, you know, as of today. That's subject to change by the time next Thursday comes. But again, we will we will see what happens. So uh, tonight's topics, lots to discuss. Like I said, we got a ton of UFC events we got to get into. And I know Ben is going to give me the assist there. We're going to talk about this week's wrestling news, of course, Monday Night Raw, uh, the build-up to WWE Battleground. I kind of want to talk a little bit about what's going on with TNA and some other rumors and speculation that have come around this week. Also, on the gaming side of things, gaming has been a little light. You know how the the summer is gaming-wise, but we're going to get into a couple of things and a couple of things I found out this week, which I definitely want to get into with you guys. And also, of course, the week's entertainment news as well. If you want to contribute and share any insight, feel free to call in 347-324-3541. Again, 347-324-3541 is the call-in number. All right, so let's get into the week's MMA news because, man, oh, man, was it a packed weekend of MMA. Let's get that ball rolling, shall we?
As always, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get the latest and greatest MMA gear, including rash guards, training gear, your favorite fighter t-shirts at MMAWarehouse.com. You can also find their banners on MyTakeRadio.com. Of course, if you purchase through one of those banners, it does help us out. And we're going to definitely try and get some new advertisers on board. I got some really, really interesting news that I will be sharing with you guys as well. All right, so Ben is in the queue from from what I gather. I'm going to try and uh, see what the deal is because I have like a thousand windows open today for this week's show because, like I said, things things have been a little crazy. But I see Ben is in the queue, and I'm going to bring him in real quick and get the ball rolling. Big Ben, what's up, dude? What's up, man? All kinds of craziness, man. Big, big uh, five-year anniversary show. You know, happy to have had you on this crazy journey with us and – you know, crazy Thanks, week for man. MMA. <laughs> you know, I'm definitely, um, you know, definitely pumped for this week. A lot of crazy stuff happened. I want to talk a little bit about um, World Series of Fighting, which, um, you know, mm-hmm. you, you spoke about uh, last week. And I, I managed to catch the card and very impressed with, with a lot of the fights. Melvin Gillard, JC Cavalcante, uh, crazy, crazy fight. Melvin Gillard in full beast mode. What'd you think of the fight? Um, I thought it was just. Um I thought it was a good fight. It, it kind of sucks that a lot of people, especially American fans, ha- didn't ever get to see J.D. Cavalcante when he was legit, uh, <laughs> probably the best lightweight in the world. Right. Um, but those knee injuries messed him up because, I mean, dude's only 30, but, I mean, those knee injuries messed him up. But Gillard looked good. Um, <clears throat> he's got to make weight, and I think that has a lot to do with kind of, uh, from what I gather, they had a really early weigh-in. Right. So he he's got to make weight, but Gallard doesn't normally miss weight. So, but he was good in the fight. He was good. He uh, knocked him out. I, I would have liked to see a more definitive end, but uh, he he was he was on his way to winning the fight. So he looked good. Yeah, that was that was a surprisingly solid night of fights. Uh, Cody Bollinger taking on Pablo Alfonso was really good. Bollinger taking the victory via rear naked rear naked choke in the first round. Uh, pretty good, pretty good performance. You know, from a from a former UFC guy again. Uh, Good finishes going into a card that you know is really starting to make its its impact known on on uh, national television. Obviously, you know Strikeforce did it with CBS, but NBC, you know, it's pretty big deal. You know, yeah, I, I was. Uh, it, it was a nice little sliding card. I think it came on right after like some motocross or something. Right. Like it, it was a nice little place to put the card. Um, just you know, people, people, the, the kind of people who who are watching motocross had. I guess noon on a Saturday um, would want to watch, you know, WC at four o'clock on a Saturday. It was, it was, it was a good little placement of a card. Yeah, I um, I felt that the John Fitch Dennis Hallman fight. I think we reached a point with that with that card where they just tried to get anybody in there with Fitch just because they needed to get Fitch on TV. Uh, I think partly for the name recognition. No disrespect to Dennis Hallman, you know, the guy's got a fifty-three and fourteen record. That's nothing to laugh at, but. At this point, did you just feel that they were grasping at straws and anybody that went in there was not going to have a great performance? Well, the thing with that fight was it, it was supposed to be three separate fights. Yep. It was supposed to be supposed to fight, I think, Kuzumon Paul Harris. That fight fell through. Then he was supposed to fight Jake Shields. That fight fell through. So they, they had to settle for this fight. So I kind of gave him a pass on that. Right. Um, and and also the thing with John Fitch is I know a lot of people were sitting on the fight saying it was boring. John Fitch, for all his kind of lay and pray, he hits you a lot. Like he does. He hits people a lot. So 
Um, it wasn't boring per se. He just he just can't finish people. But I mean, he's not Ben Askren. He's not just holding on for position. So um, it wasn't that bad of a fight. But it does suck that it ended up being like the third iteration of that fight because I think the Husamar Perez fight would have been interesting. Oh, that fight would have been a problem. I honestly felt that you know, and and like you said, you kind of wanted to give him a pass at that point because. It was it was just a recipe, not you know it was Murphy's law at foot you know running running rampant. But um you know I I got to talk about this Justin Gagey Nick Newell fight. Um, we talked about it. You did you did say Justin Gagey definitely um was gonna be the guy and he was you know he took it mm-hmm. to Nick Newell. Nick Newell got got gassed and it wasn't even about striking or anything like that. Everybody of course instantly oh you know dude dude has the the one arm and it's like dude went in there and he hung he hung as best as possible but. I think his cardio was off. Maybe it was the adrenaline dump. Definitely sucked all the juice out of him, but it was still a solid fight. Yeah, um, I was kind of weirded out by how tired both of them looked halfway through the second round. Yeah, it was it was crazy. They both looked exhausted. Um, but uh, that being said, I, I think Justin Gaethje would have beat him if he had two functional arms. Um, Justin Gaethje is a really good MMA prospect. I know he's saying he's the best 155 in the world. He's not. But he's a very good uh, prospect, um, and I think he would have beat Nick Newell regardless. Uh, just guess he looked good, and he took advantage of the problem that Nick Newell was going to have when he gets up against good MMA fighters. He can't really protect the right side of his head. Yeah, his well, hand. that's... There's nothing he can do about that. Yeah, I mean... So, you know, uh, Gaethje just kept throwing right hands. <laughs> well, you know what the funny thing is? Right after that card came and went, of course, there was that, that whole big controversy... Um, about you know the the guy with the Nazi the Nazi tattoos and all that shit and it's just like mm-hmm. it's like can nobody catch a break with national television and of course NBC it instantly threw their hands up and they're like oh we don't check these guys we don't know and I'm like oh my god just just throwing them under the bus that's World Series of fans fault I mean <laughs> you aren't gonna catch anybody in the UFC with neo Nazi tattoos no. you might catch somebody with a domestic abuse charge at one time. <laughs> Like able to heal, but you ain't gonna catch nobody that <laughs> clearly has like Hail Hitler or something on the back. You just yep. not. So I mean, that's what is the fighting's problem um, fault, and and that just comes from inexperience of the production. People had to remember this is their eleventh card. Um, they're still learning, they're still growing, and I give them a pass on it. It wasn't that huge of an issue. Yeah, but you know what the problem is? They instantly, and, and you know this much from like the CBS situation. You remember when the CBS thing popped off? Gus Johnson automatically. Well, that's just how things are, guys. I'm like, oh my god, you know, like, like instantly, it's just a blemish on the sport. That's that's why it's it's crazy to me because you know mainstream media doesn't pick this stuff up right away, but the minute people start tweeting and everything, mainstream media will be like, oh, let's take a look, and then it's like, oh my god, everybody gets all up in arms and shit about it. Yeah, I mean, it it happened. Um, it Bellator had the same issue not too long ago. They actually caught it before the fight, but it happens. You, you're not going to be able to please everybody's tattoos. You should check better, but they didn't. It it wasn't that big a deal. Like, I wouldn't even have noticed. Exactly. It wasn't until everybody kind of brought it out that it was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, lots of lot, lots of craziness. But, again, World Series of Fighting, I got to give Ray Sefo credit. He's running a pretty tight promotion, man. Them, 1FC, um, RFA, they're all, they're all holding their own in terms of just becoming... Uh, more recognizable and just trying to give fighters uh, alternatives other than the UFC and Bellator. And I think even with in Bellator's case, now that Scott Coker's involved and you got that Viacom money, I have a feeling that's going to change for the better as well. 
Um, I hope so because I mean, as long, if they get rid of the tournament, I think that will do a lot for them. But we'll see. We'll see because uh, you know Scott Coker they haven't even ran a card yet since Scott Coker took over. So right, we'll see what what happens. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what changes he's gonna make. All right, so it, it, it's one of those things where in in this particular case, like Bellator, I'm taking the wait and see approach. It seems that everything under Viacom's umbrella is reinventing itself. Bellator, obviously, with with um, you know Scott Coker involved, and even TNA Wrestling, you know, they, they allegedly they want to switch back to the six sided ring. So Viacom's in a in a restructuring phase for all their stuff. That's for male oriented viewers. I mean, you know, um, excuse me, male oriented programming. So. All this stuff is probably going to get a fresh coat of paint in the coming months, either way. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm interested to see what they're going to do, Bellator wise, if they're going to keep the tournaments, yep, or what, what all they're going to do, because it, it would be, we'll, we'll see. Because Scott Coker, Strikeforce was ran decently, yep, for a while, so I'm interested to see what what he does with, with Bellator. Yeah, and I think I think between you and I, I kind of feel that that Dana White will let him rock a little bit, you know. Like Dana White used to always just try to eat yeah, Bjorn Rebney on the regular. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think Dana sees him as competition. Yeah. Like I don't think he sees any of these leagues as competition. And until they show him that they are, that's when he starts poking at them. But right. I don't think right now Bellator is any real competition to the UFC. Yeah, and and I mean, even in the event if they were, you know, a secondary promotion or even a a, a, a you know a tertiary pr- uh, promotion. Dana White, you know, he he never really had like animosity with Scott Coker as much as he did with Bjorn Rebney. Obviously, that Eddie Alvarez situation really put it over the top. But um, I think yeah. I think in that case, you know, Dana, Dana Dana's not going to be like, listen, we're going to counter program every chance we get. Dana White knows Viacom got deep pockets, <laughs> and if Viacom really put their mind to it, they could take it to the UFC. You know, it's not even a question. I think they could try to. I think they don't have the quality of fighter that you. Well, yeah, does, the, so it would be a little bit difficult. Fighter, fighter wise, yeah. But I'm just talking about signing. You know, signing prom good talent. They can do it because they got the deep pockets. You know, oh, yeah. They can definitely, they can definitely well, yeah, fuck some yeah. things up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They could, they could sign some people away. So yeah, I think that. I think yeah, I feel what you're saying. All right, so UFC 175, huge coming in right after. Right after the 4th of July, great card, top to bottom. Alex Caceres, Uriah Faber was a ridiculous card, but that Rob Font, George Roop fight got me. I was totally, totally blown away by that fight. Yeah, I, I had never heard of Rob nope. Font <laughs> until that fight, and he, he came in and knocked George Roop the hell out. Um, it was he, nasty. He looked good. He, he looked really good. That's what George Roop is there for, really, to see who belongs in the UFC. That's kind of his role. And uh, Rob Font looked really, really good. Yeah, it, it's um, it was crazy. I mean, you know, for for me, I saw it and I was like, all right, you know, this guy's coming in. He looks pretty good. And then on the exchanges, I was like, wow, this guy, he's really, he's really pushing forward. He's trying to set the pace. And then next thing you know, it was it was lights out. I was like, holy shit, what just happened? Blinked and it was over. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that he he looked really, really fast. That that um, that right hand he landed. I mean it. They do punches at the exact same time that his got there long before yep. the roots. Yeah, incre- incredible hand speed. It was definitely a, a solid fight. The other fight I definitely got to talk about, Alex Caceres, Uriah Faber. Um, a couple of things. You know, big belief from the organization in letting Bruce Leroy run with the ball. You know, that was that was, that was was huge for his career. He really he really looked solid mm-hmm. out there against Uriah Faber. And Uriah Faber, as usual, is, is, is ready to impress as soon as that bell rings. 
here's the thing we were in favor that I don't think people have really like put a uh, notice. Like this is the first fight that had him in a title fight where he hasn't absolutely demolished who he's fighting. Right. If it's not a title fight, Uriah Faber is murking you. Yep. You're not going to look like you belong in the cage with him. And Alistair yep. Ferris looked really good. Yeah. Um, and I, and I heard on it. I mean, I saw a lot on the internet like, oh, he, Uriah lost a step or he looked. No, Alistair Ferris actually looked yep. really good. Um, so I was I was impressed with Alistair Ferris more than anything else. Well, I had I had an, an, an exchange. We were we were talking about this um, Monday, not Monday, uh, Tuesday. And uh, one of the guys was like, yeah, man, I don't know, Uriah Faber, that, you know, the California kid's starting to starting to get a little sloppy. And I'm like, no, no, no. What's happening is that the California kid is getting good, but the guys he's fighting are getting better. That's the whole point. If you're not in this sport to continue to evolve as a fighter, then you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be able to hold your own. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, Uriah Faber is still one of the probably five, maybe three best bantamweights on the planet. Uh, Oscar Sarah just showed that he belongs at least in the conversation to fight those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and Uriah, Uriah looked, he didn't look bad to me. He just looked like he was fighting somebody who was good. Exactly. <laughs> and I think who evolved. Just used to him running through a lot of people that they kind of, anytime he doesn't, you're like, oh, well, what's wrong with Uriah? Yep. There was nothing wrong with him. I just, I was really impressed with Bruce Leroy. And it's funny because that's a guy that in the old days you'd look at and you're like, oh, you know, ultimate fighter guy getting over because you know he's using the bruce leroy gimmick he's talking about the glow and all of a sudden it's like the dude the dude he got that moment of clarity and he just stepped his game up yeah for me it was never that i didn't think he could fight like he he always seemed like to me he could fight it was that he wasn't really getting any training like if you go on youtube you can watch old videos of bruce leroy fighting in backyards like he used to be on that kimbo backyard fighting stuff right <laughs> and uh and once he got some real proper training, training with uh, uh, Ben Henderson's camp, I think the lab, he, right. he looked really good since he's gotten there. So I think since he's got on proper training, he's looked good. And I, and I, I look forward to seeing what they do with him next because he, he looked good in his last couple fights. So I got a question for you. Where where does Uriah Faber go from here? I mean, you know, the guy had a good, really good fire, Bruce Leroy. It's it's almost like Uriah Faber is at that stage that we were talking about a couple months back with Anderson Silva. Like, Uriah Faber just wants the awesome fights. You know what I mean? He wants to fight in his backyard. He wants to fight in Cali. He wants to have exciting fights with dudes that really deserve to be in there. What do you think? How do you how do you feel his standing is in the organization at this point? From what I've heard, his next fight is going to be against Kid Yamamoto. Uh, that's going to be a nasty fight. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard. It's another fight that it sucks this didn't happen maybe 10 years ago. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, well, maybe not ten years ago, like eight. But uh, yeah, uh, he's he. From what I've heard, he's finally going to fight Ken Yamamoto. Um, and that's what I've heard on the internet. Uh, but outside of that, I don't really know what you do because I mean, I don't think anybody wants to see him fight Henry Burrell again. Yeah. And I don't know if he would actually fight TJ Dillashaw if he um won I'm again. Curious. So I'm maybe curious. Maybe move up to one forty-five if Chad Mendes loses whenever him and Jose Aldo fight. But I, I really don't know what you do with him. <laughs> yeah, it's like your your eye favors a a very he's in a very unique situation because it's a guy that is without a doubt an incredibly talented guy, a guy that puts asses in seats, and you almost want to give him mm-hmm. the best fights possible. Like Dana White's like, oh man, I can't give this guy uh you know a can. I got to give him somebody good because this guy goes out there and people pay money to see him, especially on the West Coast. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you don't want to give them a like as long as the people who hold the belts now have them in forty five and one thirty five. You don't want to excuse me. You don't want to give them a, a contender because of what I said earlier. He normally destroys them, and then you lose a contender, and you can't put him up against a Hannibal Rao, a T.J. Dillashaw, a Chad Mendes, or a Jose. Like nobody wants to. Well, I don't want to see him fight T.J. Dillashaw, or Chad Mendes, but I don't want to see him fight Hannibal Rao and Jose Aldo again. I know how those end. <laughs> Which True. Is pain. So yeah. Well, remember his um, leg after that 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 Jose Aldo fight was like. I thought it would have to cut it off. <laughs> what color that leg was? Yeah, like you, there's no, there's, that that fight would probably end worse this time. So, you know, you don't want to see him in those fights. I mean, I personally wouldn't mind seeing him move up to 145 and maybe fight Frankie Edgar. Oh, I'd love to. see I mean, that. we'll we'll see what they do with him. Um, a fight with Frankie Edgar would be yeah, nasty. I would dude. love that fight. That 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 would be yeah, that would be a slugfest. Well, or a Cub Swanson or somebody like that. But we, we'll see what they do with him. So. Uriah Hall, man. <laughs> we talked about this before. It's like dude goes out there. We're like, yo, this dude got to go out there and put. He's got to give us something. And dude, it was just more of the mm. same. And I kind of felt they gave him that fight because Santos looked pretty good in that fight, especially in that first round. I I, I thought Uriah Hall won. Um, and I kind of give him. A, this is the one time I give him. A, he broke his toe, and yeah, that I was know, pretty bad break of a toe. Yep. <laughs> Um, cause I, I felt like he won the first round. I felt like he won the first round going away. I think the next two rounds are maybe more up in the air, but, <clears throat> but, um, I was, I was, I wasn't impressed, but I think Uriah Hall is what he is. Like at some point he's probably going to lace him full up. Like they're going to put him up against somebody and he's going to knock him out spectacularly. And then he's going to be in another fight where he's going to do that weird backing up mugging thing he does. The Machida. He uh, tries to be Black Machida. He's gonna be. <laughs> Black Machida. <laughs> he's trying. Yeah, that's, that's just what he's gonna be. <laughs> it was it was weird because like when I heard you know about the broken toy, I was like, all right, you know, I give him somewhat of a pass. But again, I just felt as much as as Dana White was was, was riding the dude's coattails when he was on the scene. Yo, man, Uriah Hall, blah blah. blah. And then it's like, all right, and it's like I'm kind of waiting for that moment you know what i mean like the ultimate fighter made i i kind of feel the ultimate fighter just just dashed everybody's expectations because you had all these crazy knockouts all these crazy just dudes in in comas after fighting this guy and then all of a sudden he goes into the big dance and it's just like a lot of machida you know a lot of that shit going on so it was weird you know well you know how is a good fight he can fight it uh he can legit fight I mean, this is a guy who took rounds off Chris Lyman when they were both coming up. Right. Um, and barely lost across his Philippu. So <clears throat> he he can fight. The problem with him is, one, he comes from a point karate background, so at times he kind of, he doesn't build combinations. Right. Ever. It, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's like. <laughs> He's just it's... adverse to doing one-on-one strike at a time. Yep. Um, and and he he... Unless he hits you with something really, really flashy, really, really hard, you're probably just going to get pecked to death the whole fight. And <laughs> this is what he's probably going to end up being. Um, that, that's what he's going to end up being. Uh, I think he'll be uh, – yeah, he'll stick around the UFC, but I don't think he'll ever be like what Dana White was trying to say he was. Dude is the Daniel LaRusso of MMA. <laughs> Dude's coming out there. He's going to do the crane kick. Just catch somebody real quick. That's gonna be his highlight reel finish, and that's what I mean. Like it's true that point karate fighting. It's just 
it, it, it's I don't know. Maybe it's just reverting away from that mindset because you know, not not for nothing. Like GSP came from a karate background. GSP's on, but then again, GSP's also on a whole other fucking level. So that's that's something different. Yeah, I mean, Machida is the the class of the karate background, but he has adapted it better to MMA than I think any like just pure karate to MMA better than anyone. And it doesn't look like Uriah uh, Hall is anywhere near Machida. Nope. <laughs> so let, let th- this next fight we're going to talk about is a fight that blink of an eye, Ronda Rousey, sixteen <laughs> seconds. Chick has hasn't been in the cage probably to not. I think she didn't even break that initial sweat when you start fighting. Like she was still dry through that fight. I was like, oh, I'm like, oh, come on. And and it's getting to that point where what we were talking about, it's like, oh, if she keeps putting putting beatings on these chicks like this, she's going to get tired. <laughs> Here's the thing that happened in that fight. Um, Ronda Rousey has adapted her striking game perfectly for what she's good at doing. Yep. She gets you into the clinch. Like, she, she hit Alexis. I mean, it was only 16 seconds of fight. Yep. But she rocked Alexis Davis with, like, an overhand right. Yep. Kneed her in the stomach really hard. Yep. <laughs> then threw her and then proceeded to punch her in the head a bunch of times. Like, she did all of that in 15 seconds. The, the problem, which, which is why I'm so excited that they just found Holly Holm, is that she is so much of a better athlete than everyone she's fighting right now yep. that it's not even fair, it seems. Yep. It's, it, and that's why I'm excited they signed Holly Holm. <laughs> yeah, the Holly, the Holly Holm signing, we're we going to get into that. And it's true. It's like Ronda Rousey put her striking in such a way where we talk about, and, and I was talking about this at work, it's like there's certain disciplines you're really good at and you transition them well into mixed martial arts. Guys that are great wrestlers, they use wrestling with offense and to set up everything else that they do. Uh, in her case, what she had to do was she had to use her striking game to complement her judo throws and her submission game. And her, she just kept working on her striking, working on her striking to break your fucking finger. I think I think she broke a, a finger with one overhand right. I, think she I had said, a fist under her knuckle or something. Yeah, and and it was. I said to myself to throw with that kind of power in 16 seconds is a problem <laughs> you know it's like it's like for her to throw a strike and put you to sleep without it hitting a half a minute is a problem yeah like like how like like we've been saying she is him well not everyone but she is because she's such a great athlete she has tried this in the mma better than just about anyone would expect and a lot of these females <clears throat> right now, because the weight class is shallow, there there is very few females that are as good. There's no one. Well, see, I keep, I keep, I don't think there's anyone that I've seen, right? Except maybe one female that is anywhere athletically as good as she is, right? And the skill set you need to fight her, no one has came at her yet with. Nope. <clears throat> you have to strand her on the feet. Yep. You have to make sure. She does not get you to the ground because nope. if she gets a hold of you and gets you to the ground, your fight's probably over. And <clears throat> and the fence too. She does the Randy the Couture fence. The grapplers and the Randy Couture fence trick. Mm-hmm. You got to keep away from the fence with her. You yeah. got to keep that fight center of the cage. Yeah, and a lot of these, and a lot of these females are grapplers, so their whole mindset is, "Well, we we got to go to the ground. You you can't go to the ground with her because nope. you're going to lose." Nope. <laughs> and um. It, it it's become a problem. I mean, 16 seconds. The the fight was a it was a Vine video, <laughs> yep. perfect Vine video. 16 seconds. 
Um, but I mean, it was spectacular for that 16 seconds. It was really spectacular. Well, it, it was funny that you said it was a Vine video because somebody made a Vine right after that, and it was like, look at that. And I'm like, no fucking way, because I was watching it on delay. So by the time I got to that fight, I'm like, yo, come on. And it was crazy because, like, I said to myself, you know, if she if she can thrash a chick in 16 seconds, what who, what fight are you going to give her at this point? You know, it's like, and that's what I was saying. It's like, what are you going to do, give her Katzengano? Yeah, Katzengano will probably strike with her on the feet, but she's shorter than Katzengano, so she's going to try and close the distance on the shoot. And the minute she grabs that waist, that's it. You know, I like Katzengano. I think Katzengano's a problem. But as soon as Ronda Rousey grabs that waist, that's it. Here's, here's the thing with Katzengano. Um, Katzengano physically probably is stronger than Ronda Rousey. Katzengano would be out here suplexing people. Yep. Yeah, that's a really strong female. Yep. Um, I think that fight would be interesting. But I don't think Ronda Rousey would go for, like, muscling her down. I think she would just try to out-technique her. And I think she would win that way. I mean, there's... Like I said, there's only one female I think that can give her issues, and they just signed it. Yep. That is it. Like the rest of these females, they do not strike well enough to keep it on the feet. Right. They they just don't. <laughs> no, they don't. And I think that that that's a problem. Like that that's going to be the issue for these. People. You have to make her fight you standing up. If it touches, if she gets a hold of you or it touches the ground, you fight over. Yep. Ground ground and cage is over because she'll use the cage to to close the distance and then drag you drag you down that way and like i said alexis davis and and you said it as well as soon as she got cracked with that overhand right she was she was fighting blind at that point so it was it was just academic because you could see that she her equilibrium was off yeah as soon as as soon as she got hit with that her legs started going yep. and that was it that was a fight <laughs> so let let's talk about chris weidman Man, oh man, were we proven wrong? And I, I gotta, I gotta admit it. You know, Weidman went in there and he put on work. <laughs> that was a great fight. Um, that was ridiculous. I, I think the thing that hurt Machida in this fight, because I think he still could have won, is the fact that he was so passive the first three rounds. Yep. And and I give him credit for it. In round four and five, he was like, "I have to knock him out." Yep. And he was going. For the knockout, and a lot of dudes don't do that. A lot of dudes shut down and mentally check out. He didn't do that. He was like, "I have to knock him out." Like, <laughs> I lost the first three rounds. Now I got to go knock him out. Well, the um, so it made the fight really, really interesting, and it made the fight really, really good. Well, the thing too was Weidman. Again, these guys come in there like the fucking Walking Dead. He was hurt too, and he went in there and he wasn't fight. I mean, you know, I, coaches. Oh yeah, he wasn't fighting at a hundred percent. But you know, for argument's sake, if he wasn't at a hundred percent, he fought like that. It's like, oh. When when he's a hundred, it's gonna be legit. But I'll tell you this, dude, and, and we were saying it. I don't want him to fight Vitor, Vitor, because if Vitor for some reason beats him and some shit comes back fucked up, you know the the entire universe is just gonna implode on itself. I I don't want him to fight Vitor either, simply because I don't trust Vitor. Like you just said, I don't trust Vitor nope. to come into the fight clean. Nope. I, I just don't. Like at this point, there's no reason that anyone should trust him. Coming to the fight clean, yep. and then Personally, he so then he does some funky shit. No, I was gonna say then he comes in on some funky shit. Say he wins. Oh, I'm the best. Vitor's the best, and then it's like, oh, by the way, you have enough testosterone in here to p- feed an entire prepubescent baseball team. Hope you don't mind. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't want that and, dude because if I were Weidman and I'd lost to that dude, it's like I'd have to go to your house and kill you. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> you know, it's like, oh, come on. It's and like, then Vito get, will get on Twitter and be like, oh, it's an ex- he's using an excuse like he did with TRT. Right. If anyone calls TRT and it, uh, the reason I went, it was the reason you were winning, winning Vito. Please, yep. please stop. That was the reason you were winning. Yeah, it's like, um, come on. But, um, I mean, there's no way to prove Vito is clean. I, I'm done with Vito. Like, that, that little stretch <laughs> of time where he was knocking everybody over head kicks, yep. he was super TRT Vito. That's when I, I, I personally was like, I'm done with you. Like, I'm just like, yep. Because you knew, I'm dude. With, you knew. This is clearly helping you. You weren't this way before TRT. Yeah, like, dudes like Luke Rockhold, they're like, yo, I'm in this motherfucker's highlight reel. <laughs> you know, I'm in this motherfucker's highlight yeah, reel. Yeah, like, Luke Rockhold is a great fighter that now has a loss to Vitor Belfort, who is on steroids. Now, have you, have people seen what Luke Rockhold has done to two yep. top 10 middleweights? Yep. Right after that fight. Oh, dude was <laughs> tight, son. Dude was mad. Yeah, it's, it, it's he was crazy. He mad as hell, and I don't blame him. You know, you know and, and like I said, and it wasn't even like he lost by decision or some funky shit. It's like, yo, you are a highlight. Like, when they show Vitor moments, your ass getting put to sleep is in that highlight reel. You know, it's, it's craziness. And even... Even like 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 you know some of these guys they look they probably look at Vitor's career and they're just like damn you know like like the dudes that he caught he they're just like fuck this is bullshit but you know I mean, the- he was on steroids when he first started like yep. he clearly was when he first started if you look at his physique when he first started in the UFC at yep. nineteen that was steroids yep. <laughs> which is crazy and it, and it's just like I feel for Weidman Weidman's like you know he said he'd fight Luke Rockhold he'd fight Vitor. He'd fight Jacare. I honestly would like to see Weidman and Jacare just because that ground game would be bananas. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would love to see either Weidman or Jacare. There's three people I would want to see him fight. Mustafi, uh, Jacare, or Rockhold. Right. One of those three. I think those three fights would be bananas because <clears throat> all three of those dudes pose different threats. Yep. And I can see all three of them beating them. Yeah, which is crazy. And, you know, like I said, you know, I we, we wrote off – we wrote off Vitor. We, I mean, we wrote off Vitor. We we've been wrote off Vitor, but we wrote off Weidman, and we were just like, yeah, man, Weidman might get might get it taken to him. And I think that that was part of the reason why it lit that fire under his ass because he knew it's like, yo, everybody looks at my record on some real blemish type shit, and it, it, it's not the case. And it's true, you know. I I I like Chris Weidman, local guy, tremendous story, blue collar, um, uh, just an amazing human being. Mm-hmm. But you look at it, and you're just like, you know, oh, dude, dude got lucky. And you never want to say that, but that's the first thing that comes to mind. Because, like, yo, if Anderson Silva wouldn't have been fucking around, would you have beaten him? And, we, and yeah, woulda, coulda, shoulda, but beating Machida is big. Yeah, beating, there, there's only a few fighters that, personally, I think Machida's only lost twice. Yep. <laughs> like, the, the Clinton Rampage Jackson loss was bullshit. Yep. The Phil Davis fight was even bigger bullshit. Oh, yeah. John Jones beat him and Shogun beat him. That's it. Like, no one else has been able to beat him. And he's looked untouchable in fights. And he he, he looked good in this fight in, in, in stages. And I still think um, Machida actually has probably a legit shot to beat him yep. if, if they fight again. So, I'm interested to see what, the, <clears throat> excuse me, what Wyman does in the future. Because I... I don't feel like he's unbeatable, and it makes it more fun that way. Yep, it does make it more fun because we. You, I, as soon as I saw the fight, and I said, 
I said, Ben must be watching this fight and being like, son of a bitch. Because <laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> you know, you look at that fight, and you're like, yo, these dudes are legit going to war right now. Like, it's not even a, it's not even a game of, oh, we're just, you know, I'm going to try go in there, finish it fast because I'm hurt. No, I'm going to go in there and have a slugfest with you <laughs> for, 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 for 25 minutes, you know? Yeah, it was the the fourth and fifth round were so back and forth and just great fun. They were fun fun as hell to watch. Yep, people were going insane, dude. I thought I thought Ray Longo was gonna was gonna jump out of his own stomach. Dude was super pumped. He's in the corner, <laughs> like you know, Chris, you got to go out there and and, and you got to work those angles, Chris. And I'm just like, oh my god, it's just I I I felt like I was like like I was sitting outside by my office, just like like with a with a with a dad yelling at his son. <laughs> like it was, it was that dude was that hype, and I like that because that kind of emotion it carries into the TV, it carries into into the crowd. Like everybody was into that fight, and that's what the UFC needs. And it goes back to what we were saying: it's like, yo, you gotta market this dude. Guy's an all American guy, undefeated, tremendous story. Uh, you know, overcame tremendous odds, Hurricane Sandy. All that shit. It, 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 if you, it, this guy, you should be putting him out there dressed like fucking Captain America. <laughs> I'm serious, dude. Yeah, I mean, they they need to promote. They need to promote their fighters better. And yep. Chris Wyman could be that all American yep. super fighter. That's it. Um, that they can <clears throat> they can market and turn into a huge star. Yep. He he's 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 definitely that dude. So I gotta switch gears. Go into the the tough final. Um, considering that I watched most of that season on fast forward, um, you know, Eddie Gordon, Diego Lima was, a, was an awesome fight. Again, another, another team, Sarah Longo standout, uh, colleague of Chris Weidman, D- dude, Eddie Gordon, holy shit. Just, just nasty, nasty hands. And Diego Lima is definitely getting a job after this because that dude, he, you know, his fights were all exciting during the season. Yeah, uh, Diego is not his brother, <laughs> but he is good. He's a very good yep. fighter, um, and he was really undersized right. um, the entire season. He may have been tall, but he's clearly a, a welterweight. Yep. And I think he's going to get himself a, a, a at least one fight in the UFC. I was surprised at since the season itself was so boring to see the two um, uh, finale fights in the way they did. Yep. I was really impressed, but. <clears throat> I don't know how far these fighters will go, uh, and how good they can be, but uh, they 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 both both the winners um look good. Yeah, it was it was crazy, and then you know the that Corey Anderson Matt Van Buren fight, the, the just the 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 pummeling that they took, you know the pummeling that um, Corey Anderson gave Van Buren, it was it was ridiculous. It's like yo, these guys are not even trying to go into deep water, and it was what I was saying, you know, fight safe, fight safe. Until you get to the finale, and then all hell breaks loose. Like the dudes have figured it out. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there there is as much as it bothers Dana White, there is no reward nope. for fighting crazy on the show. Nope. <laughs> unless you want zero. fans, you know. Unless like, you're trying to you get need fans. To get through three fights on the show. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you got to get into three fights, and then the finales. And it's like, yo, the finales six figures. Six figures are on the line. It's like, yo, I am I'm straight doing Mortal Kombat and ripping your heart out of your chest for a six-figure contract. And that's what these dudes are doing. Like they're they're pacing themselves. They're and not for nothing like Diego Lima and and even Eddie Gordon, they were they were trying to show a little something during the season which was good. 
but they knew they were like, all right, as soon as this bell ring, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and most of them will probably get fights in the UFC. Well, at least Dave and Lima will. Yeah, most of them will probably get fights in the UFC, and <clears throat> and I'm looking forward to seeing. Them. So let's let's pour one out for for BJ Penn and his fight with Frankie Edgar. Um, wow, like there was no. There was that was the probably the greatest example of you know the young lion defeating you know the veteran because BJ Penn's been fighting for fucking ages and this is a guy who was always evolving and don't get me wrong I always felt that he was surrounded by yes men and you know sometimes he he, he fucking he he relied solely on ability instead of evolving with the sport but you know the guy gave tremendous fights throughout his career and to go out there i gotta give him credit the guy went out on his fucking shield you know what i mean he went in there like a warrior he said fuck it i'm gonna take this ass whooping and then i'm gonna I'm sit at home swimming and spam and fried rice and dollar bills and call it a day yeah unfortunately <laughs> it, it sucks um for bj um it was i knew he didn't have it when he came out and started finding that weird yep upright super upright position yep. and got taken down. So Rock'em, sock'em like, style. That's when I knew, like, this is it. This is this the end of me there. And, and, I, and I also felt that when he, he looks sick. Like, yep. Maybe it's because I've never seen him that, that skinny. He just didn't look right to me. Yep. Um. So, I mean, he, uh, he, it sucks, but that's it. Um, Jay-Z, <laughs> I mean, Jay-Z. <laughs> BJ Penn is, um, this is the end of a great career. BJ Penn is one of the best fighters to ever do it. Um, but I mean, it, it has to come to an end at some point. And um, the beatings he's taken in his last couple fights, I, I I think it's time. It's definitely time to go ahead and hang it up, dude. He, this is a guy that fought Lyoto Machida. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> like, it took me a minute to process that. Yeah. And I say to myself, it's like BJ Penn probably. If he would have, if he would have been part of like a legit camp, like I said to myself, if BJ Penn would have been part of like Greg Jack, Greg Jackson's camp, BJ Penn would probably be an even bigger legend than he already is. Because it's not even just that. If BJ Penn had just stayed at one fifty, either one seventy or one fifty five, this is a dude that was fighting heavyweights yep. and stuff for no particular reason, just because he wanted to. Right. But I'm just saying, in terms of just the structure, you know what I mean? Because like I said, dudes in Hawaii, he's chilling. No, I'm going to go and train today. Ah, maybe I go swim in the swim in the waterfall for a little bit. You know, it's like it's like, dude, no, 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 get the fuck up, get in the gym. Oh, you want to go grab some shrimp? No, <laughs> get in the cage. And that's what I always felt like. Whenever they would show like like his his training camps, like certain training camps, dude was dialed in. But then there were others. Oh, you know, real laid back. You know, taking it easy. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. It was it was craziness. He, that that was Jay problem, like BJ's problem, like never really uh, dedicating himself completely or n- not having the right people around him. Yep, and never and, fully dedicating himself, not having the right people around him, and fighting outside his weight class for no reason. Yep, like that fight with Frankie Edgar. He's like, oh, I want to do this fight with Frankie Edgar, and it's like, all right, cool, you want to do this fight with Frankie Edgar, but it's it, it was a, a a big demonstration also of how MMA the training techniques and the philosophies have evolved in such a way that when you look at this fight, it really was like, yo, old guard and new guard. Like, like everything is, has changed so much. Like 
in the old days, yeah, you go, you do some drills, you do mat work, whatever. Now it's like dudes, dudes are going out, training at high elevation, going to fucking hyperbaric chambers, drink, taking senzu beans and shit. You know, like, like, dude, like dudes are out there and, and, you know, they're training, they're training on a whole other level, taking, you know, six months and, and, and going in the wilderness and training like, like Van Damme did in kickboxing. Like these are legit dudes going out there. It's not like the old days. And that's, that's what I mean. Like what kind of training do you think Tank Abbott did back in the day? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, none. <laughs> exactly. Don Fry. Like, don't get me wrong. Don Fry was a beast. But I think Don Fry would probably take a take a fifth of scotch, and that would be it. And just on sheer determination and and insanity alone, he'd go out there and do what he had to do. Yeah, I mean, it's more of a sport than it has ever been. Yep. And it, it sucks that if 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 BJ had came up in this time, yep, what he would have looked like because talent wise, he was one. Just physical talent, he's. There's not many people that can match him just physically talent-wise. Oh, dude, he was he was amazing back in the day. Just a just an amazing, amazing okay. talent. And the thing that got me was the fact that dude would go in there and he'd just be just on the strength, just like yeah, you know, I I, I did camp for six weeks. He'd come in there, whoop a dude's ass, be like, dude, you did camp for six weeks? No, I actually did four. Got hurt the last week. Took it easy. And you're just like, what? <laughs> Fuck out of here. <laughs> Which is nuts, you and know. Still be able to beat most people. It, yeah, and, and still be able to to tap out Matt Hughes in under a minute mm-hmm. at once. Like when Matt Hughes was the best player yep. in the world, and it it's just crazy. Like he just physically, talent wise, was so much better than anyone for a long time. And it's just crazy to think like if that talent came up in this world now, where you know you got the really good training camps, even in Hawaii, you got really good training camps. Like what he would have looked like. Well, you brought up a great example. It's like when we look at that and you bring up, you know, you bring up Matt Hughes, it really is exactly that. Think about it. Every guy that fought during that era has pretty much mostly retired. Sean Shirt, gone. Um, Jens Pulver announces retirement, gone. BJ, gone. Matt Hughes, Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, you know, the list goes on. I mean, even GSP to a degree. And it's crazy, you know, they, they, you look at that list of guys and all these legends, all these amazing fighters, and you realize that those guys, their time is exactly that. It was finite. And he was pretty much one of the last few guys left from that era, you know, from, the, from like the, the original, the silver age, you know, to use a comic book term, he was, he was the silver age of the UFC, you know, it was him, Matt Hughes, um, GSP, Sean Shirk. You know, all those guys, Jens, Pulver, those were the guys from the Silver Age of the UFC, and they're they're all slowly but surely hanging it up, except Vitor, because obviously, you know. <laughs> Voids. Uh, yep. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, at some point, this was going to happen in UFC, um, in MMA in general. Like, yep. MMA is a relatively young sport, and at some point, a lot of uh, people's heroes were going to retire. Yep. It's just how it happens. I mean, it happens in every single sport that happens. In boxing, and and the closest correlation is boxing, and it happens in boxing. Like yep. your heroes retire at some point. Floyd Mayweather is going to retire. Yep. As like, much as much like as people the hate ones to that say, you really enjoy watching are going to quit, and you got to find new ones. Yep. It, it, it's crazy. I wanna I wanna jump into into the week's news. Also, um, you know, we were talking about Henan Barrow earlier. It looks like his match with T.J. Dillashaw is a go for UFC 177, August 30th in Sacramento. I said to myself, 
Uriah Faber should have been fighting on that card, but you never know. That shit may still happen. True. Yeah, it, it might. Um, <laughs> I mean, I haven't heard anything about him, him fighting on the card, but you never know. Like, that is Uriah Faber's stomping yep. grounds. So. Um, Gustafson and Jones is a go for September 27th. Not bad. Nice way to welcome the fall in. I think, um, you know, doing doing that fight right around that time, it kind of is a nice way to kind of bring in the fall, start getting ready for, I, you know, you got the NFL starting to get into that swing. So it's, I think it's a great card to put together right around that time. And you know, like I said, it's, it's a good way to start closing out the end of the year, start giving us those really big marquee fights. Yeah, um, I kind of wish it was sooner. Um, I really want to see that second fight, but um, I, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it is it's September; it's not that far away, so um, I'm interested to see how that fight plays out. Yeah, they also announced uh, Tim Kennedy and Yoel Romero, and Tim Kennedy's like that guy needs to piss in a cup asap. I was like, well, damn, dude, <laughs> dude didn't even waste no time. Tim Kennedy's like, yep, you pissing in a cup. Let's make that happen. <laughs> I. Joe Romero has looked like, for those who don't know, Joe Romero was like a gold medal winning like Olympic wrestler. He yep. looked like that a long time. Like, <laughs> like I, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't have to pass anyone, but I would be mildly surprised if he was on steroids. Yeah, but it was, it's just funny. Tim Kennedy's like, yep, European in a cup. <laughs> like, I'm like, well, all right. It's like the fight, the ink wasn't even dry on, on the contract. And dude's like, yeah, you random drug test, let's do it. I'm like, oh, well, okay. No problem. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. going to be an awesome fight, I mean, but I was hey, like, well, shit. I mean, you might as well ask for it. Shit. I mean, I would ask for it. I mean, <laughs> it, go ahead and ask for it. See, if he says yes, then all the more reason you don't, you know you're not on something. So. Exactly. So, um, you know, the the Stefan Struve, Matt Mitrione fight got derailed because, you know, Stefan Struve, the, the oxygen just couldn't reach the, the skyscraper of a dome that he has. And, um, you know, really, really big scare. Uh, luckily, it didn't have anything to do with his uh, heart condition. But still, just a, a crazy turn mm-hmm. of events. I think I think it really, and as much as people say no, 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 it's like it really puts his fate in the sport in question. It's like, dude, you just came back. You get in there. You have like a panic attack and shit. You almost faint. It's crazy. Yeah, especially after the whole thing with his heart and then his last fight, Mark Hunt like cracked his jaw in half. Yep. Stephen Struve is doing a lot of damage to a body that's probably mildly brittle anyway because he's 107 fucking feet tall. Yep. <laughs> so I I guess if he wants to keep fighting, he should. But he right. should probably consider like what he's going to do after this because yeah, the way he fights, the stuff that's happened to his body, he's not long for the sport. Well, that's the thing, too. It's... um. You know, you look at these guys, and it's it, it's funny you mentioned that just being seven feet tall. Because if you look at a lot of the the larger wrestlers in professional wrestling, a lot of these older, these bigger guys, they all just become super injury prone, all kinds of health problems, all kinds of knee problems. Um, and so, even in his case, it's not shocking to me. But it's like when you got a dude passing out mm-hmm. backstage, it's it's definitely concerning, you know. Yeah, I mean, hell, you just looked at that in any sport, like in basketball. Like, yep. a lot of really big guys' careers are super short because yep. their body doing all that stuff when you're seven foot tall is not good for your body. Like, That's it's, right. It's just not. Um, so, I think he should probably just think about what he's going to do after this because he 
he's doing a lot of damage to his body. And also, I mean, the way, like I said earlier, the way he fights, he doesn't fight in a way that, you know, protects him in any sort yep. of way. No kind of safe, no kind of safe technique whatsoever. He goes in there, you know, full bore. And, and I think it's partly because he wants to get, you know, he wants to earn fans. So, you know, he figures, oh, I'm going to go in there mm-hmm. and I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to leave it all in the cage. And yeah, that's great. But you know what it is? You got to pick and choose that because you're not going to go in there and and swing and sling leather with guy you know with a guy like 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 Pat Barry who you know is is you know he's a dangerous human being and that's what I'm saying or or just any of those guys there's certain guys that you gotta you gotta approach with a different strategy and that's kind of he doesn't he doesn't use that at all he honestly should fight like a taller John like you shouldn't be able to touch his chin yep there's no reason anyone <laughs> should be able to touch his chin it's true. Shouldn't shouldn't Especially be able to touch. Especially not a Padbury. Nope. Or Mark Hunt, who are a foot shorter than him. Yep. I mean, <laughs> there's no excuse for that. So he probably should just start thinking about what he's going to do after fighting. Because mentally, I I just think his body's going to fully break down at some point. Yeah, it's, it's craziness. I do I do got to say I was I was thoroughly impressed that the UFC put Pat Militich in the Hall of Fame. Um, I think it was a long time coming, mm-hmm. and um. You know the guy. The guy was the inaugural welterweight champion. You can't erase that. You know. And yeah. again, Dana White. Yeah. Yeah. Dana um, White with his shit. You know. Yeah, I mean, a lot like the WWE Hall of Fame and, yep. and any arbitrary Hall of Fame like that. It's how they feel about you at That's that right. time. Um, at some point, I think Frank and Ken Shamrock will be in the Hall of Fame. Well, maybe after Ken Shamrock's dead, since the UFC is continuously suing him. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, at some point, one of them or both of them will be in the Hall of Fame. It just it just depends on how they feel about you. And at some point, you know, they were gonna they were gonna let them in the Hall, him into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. They, well, you know what's weird? I'm shocked when I looked at that list of Hall of Famers, and I'm like, yo, how is Boss not in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> exactly. Um, I exactly. think that's another whole. Yep. He I know. Loved somebody. Oh, yeah. White probably the wrong way. So, um, at some point he'll get in. I mean, he he's not one of the ones that like suing or anything. No, no, no. So at some point he'll probably get in. So I I wanted to I want to talk about two things. Number one, um, Dominic Cruz mm-hmm. talking about that he's coming back, and I'm like, really? It's like the crowd went mild when you said you were coming back. Like, no disrespect to Dominic Cruz, but I'm like, oh, you're coming back? Great. You know, it's like it's like you're taking on Takeya Mitsugaki. I'm like, I kind of want Takeya Mitsugaki to fuck you up. <laughs> I hope he comes back and he's okay. Like I, I don't know. I mean, what's the dude is Mr. Glass? Is he fought now? <laughs> dude is Mr. Glass. So man. yeah, like I hope he comes back and I don't know what to expect. Like I have no idea what to expect. What he looks like? Should um, you should have given him Uriah favor for that? Fight. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> See, and the crazy part about him was he he was ready to come back and fight Hannibal Rowley like, off the jump. Like, dude, that's not a good idea yeah, at no. all. Stop you it. need to take some sort of some sort of pre- even if he came back a hundred percent, you need to take a tune up fight of some sort. Yep. Like you know, so um you know, hopefully he's right. hopefully he's physically right. Because, um, I mean I enjoyed watching Dominic Cruz when he was, you know, champion. So um, and he never really lost a belt, so hopefully he's physically right, and hopefully he comes back and he he's he's able to do something. Because I mean, new blood or old blood that's being re, re- administered 
into the a bantamweight uh, division is always good. Yeah, I, th- I think in that degree it's great. I think my only issue that I have with it is what I was saying before, which was you know you got this dude, he's coming back, he hasn't been in the he hasn't been involved in such a long time, and he's become no disrespect again to the guy, but it's like he's such a non-factor in the division that if you're going to bring him back, at least give him a guy that can kind of put him on the map. Again, Takei Misagaki is no, no slouch, so he's definitely going to get back on the map with that fight, win, lose, or draw. But if he fights, Takei Mitsugaki comes out of that fight injured again, I think it's going to be time to hang it the fuck up, you know? Yeah, if it's another knee injury, or another leg injury, yep. Achilles, knee, any of that, yep. if it's another leg injury, you need to just stay in the booth because... At that point, it's just your body telling you, like, dude, we can't do this no more. Nope. Like, it's just, it's nothing, it's nothing you can do about it at that point. And uh, that's unfortunate, but that happens to athletes. So hopefully, hopefully nothing like that happens and he's able to um, <clears throat> come back and at least be partially what he was. Because he, he was a really good fighter at one time. This is true. Spe- speaking of, um, how, do you, how do you feel about UFC 176 being canceled? And, you know, because of Jose Aldo's injury, I said to myself, so that nobody could fight for an interim belt, that you just cancel a full fucking card? Um, and Gegard Mousasi got to find out about that shit on Twitter? <laughs> that, that was strange. Um, <laughs> I don't blame the UFC for canceling it. I think, first of all, I think they handled the canceling this one way better than they did the last yeah. time they had a cancel card. <laughs> they did. <laughs> um, but um, I think it, it really it came down to do you want to do an interim belt? Because for what I understand, Jose Aldo is not going to be injured that long. <laughs> like I think they're going to reschedule the fight maybe for September. Right. So doing a whole interim belt for, for only for a couple of months is kind of pointless. Right. I don't think they had anyone else to, to put to plug into that spot. Um, well, it I was laughed. weird when they asked Ronda Rousey all randomly <laughs> to do it. <laughs> Yo, Dana White was going to fuck Joe Rogan up. I was like, um, oh, somebody's getting fired. <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, I don't blame Jerome for that. That was no, no. in the production truck that was like, hey, ask her this question. <laughs> and Joe's like, and Joe so must have been I, like, I, really? I, I felt bad for Ronda Rousey, too. Yep. She's like, yo, my hand's fucking broke. You want me to fight? But you know what's funny? Frankie Edgar's like, yo, I'll coke. fight. Like, <laughs> Frankie Edgar, Frankie Edgar's like, yeah, I'll fight Chad Mendes. And Chad Mendes is like, yo, fall the fuck back, dude. I'm only fighting for a belt. I was like, well, shit. They might as well cancel the card at this yeah, point. <laughs> Yeah, he he don't want to see Frank Gary, but I mean, (laughs) that that's really all they could do. Like, there was nobody they could plug in. Um, And this is what happens when you build cars that can't be carried by your co-main event. Um, And and that's what I said uh, when uh, I think 151 got canceled. Um, It's going to end up happening because they won so many cars now. Um, It's not the end of the world, um, but I mean, the car had to be canceled. Um, They're rescheduling all the fights and. Yeah, well, I mean, UFC they handle fight, it way better. Well, UFC Fight Night 50 now is benefiting a lot, dude. Crazy amount of of awesome cards got added. Gegard Mousasi and Jacare, uh, Chiesa and Joe Lazan, Andre Feely, Sean Soriano, Overeem and Ben Rothwell. And it's like I said as soon as that fight was announced, please, please win a fight, Overeem. Please. You're killing me. You're fucking uh. killing me. He won a basketball. Oh uh, yeah, he beat Frank Mayer. But I mean, I think he should be able to beat Ben Rothwell if Ben like Rothwell to... doesn't hit flush in the face. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's like, <laughs> dude, get a chin implant. I think, I think, <laughs> yeah, he, he should be skill wise. He's better than Ben Rothwell at every position. Yep. But 
if he gets hit and flushed in the face, we know what happens with Overeem when he gets hit. Yep. So we'll see. Um, but I, I think he, I think he should be able to be Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Like UFC Fight Night Fifty is going to be awesome, and not only that, but that card's not that far off. It's September fifth, so if you definitely want to see those guys fight, definitely put September fifth on your calendar. Uh, Chael's in the news this week, of course. Chael pretty much was like, yeah, those drug tests, I'm not contesting shit. And they're like, oh, well, you're going to pay $250,000. And he's like, right. <laughs> Dude's like, yeah, okay. Y'all keep thinking that. That's a, a really, really excessive. And they're not getting that money. Because no. this is the same commission that tried to take. For anyone who watched boxing, um, Julio Cesar Chavez got popped for weed like two years ago. And they took nine hundred thousand dollars from him <laughs> they had to give all that shit back yep all of it you can't take people's money like that yep it's not legal <laughs> like, expect like the only way i think you should find him is if he registers for a license again, yep which he won't nope so what are you finding him for he's not fighting no more so i think this is just a money grab which he's not going to pay so I see Chael being, <laughs> I see Chael being the type of dude that'll give him the fucking money in pennies. <laughs> like he'll he'll be that type of a dude just on principle. He'll be like, oh, that money, yeah, we're just, I'm just gonna give it to you in fucking pennies and half dollars. Hope you don't mind, because he, like he he's that type of a fool. Shit, I wouldn't, shit, I wouldn't pay them shit. That that's excessive. Like you've already basically ruined this dude's Fox career, ruined his fighting career. Yep. Like he really he can't really do. I mean, he can do things, but he can't really do any MMA things right now. Nope. And then you want to charge him $250,000 for no apparent reason. It, it It's a money grab to me. It's excessive. I thought releasing the second test results was excessive yep. because at that point he had already said he was done fighting. So I, I felt it was excessive just to, oh, well, we also found this. Like, I just <laughs> found that excessive. Dude's just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And it's funny. His lawyer's like, yeah, he's he he's cool with it. He's cool with the with the test results. He's cool with your findings. Fuck it. And then it's like, oh yeah, but that two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And I'm like, yeah, that's not happening. It's not. Yeah, like he was cool with it because he knew he was done. He, yep. He ain't nothing to hide no more. He knew he was done fighting. There you go. So you know, I was bummed to hear that John Dodson's out for a year. I know you were upset, dude. You know, ACL yeah, to ACL tear. Dude, ACL tear. You know, you know the yeah. deal with that. Yeah, it sucks, but I mean, if, if he comes back healthy, um, it gives the division a little bit more time to uh, flesh out some more. Um, I think he, he'll come back all right. Um, it sucks, but that, that's what happens. <laughs> Dude, how does how does Ali Baganov get popped after fighting Demetrius Johnson? How does that happen? <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. What, what's real funny about Ali Baganov? Um, he's not allowed to fight Sambo in Russia because he he can't pass a drug test. So, like, what does that tell you? <laughs> the fuck does that tell it's you it's not new for him at all oh jesus <laughs> and and uh, with hearing that it's like, like yo what does that tell you yeah like it, it was really interesting to me that they even gave him a i mean well no no it wasn't interesting that they gave him a title shot i mean it's 125 there's really not a whole bunch of people to give title shots to true but um it was real interesting when i when i read that he got popped i wasn't surprised at all it doesn't do that literally they will not allow him to fight sambo oh at all, because he will refuse to take a drug test. Absolutely refuses to do it. Yep, <laughs> he will not. And they're like, "Well, you just can't fight Sambo, then you just won't." There you go. So it doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> so uh, the the next the next bit the next two pieces of news to to wrap things up. Um, the Holly Holmes signing huge. I like how Dana White did it. 
Yeah. He's just like, oh, yeah, look, Instagram, contract in one hand, Holly Holm half-naked on a rock doing a kick in the other. Uh, yeah, we signed her. All good. And it's funny because, once again, it just validates what I said. Like, all that shit talking that you did, all that grandstanding and posturing, and you over here with a shit-eating grin on your face like, yep, another another hot chick that we going to sell you like a motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, and this one actually could beat uh, Ronda Rousey. Yep. Uh, this is a fight I wanted to see even more than Cyborg. Because uh, for those who don't know, Holly Holm was uh, the best women's boxer in the world yep. a couple years ago before she decided to go straight to MMA. Or not even straight to MMA because she did kickboxing too. Um, <clears throat> so striking-wise, she is light years ahead of Ronda Rousey. Like, That's as right. good as Ronda Rousey probably is, as much as better as Ronda Rousey probably is than her straight grappling, uh, stand up as another ball. Yeah, like, stand up as another. Even close. <laughs> well, here's here's so, the kicker. Um, here's the kicker. Not not to cut you off. Uh, here, here's the kicker. You sign Holly Holm. Who's her first fight? Because it's not Ronda. I figure you might as well just sacrifice Misha Tate and get it over with. Because you know that's who it's gonna be. Um. See, I wouldn't see. Maybe a Misha Tate. Maybe a. Uh, I don't know, like maybe an Amanda Noon, so somebody that she can look good against. Because I really don't care. For me, I don't think they're going to give her anyone they think can legitimately possibly hold her down to beat her. Yep. Like I just, I think they're going to give her someone to beat and then just move her straight into that title fight. She's going to fight Liz Carmouche. I think. <laughs> the Liz Carm- See, here's the thing with Liz Carmouche. I can see Liz Carmouche just holding her down. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> But I'm I just saying, like Liz Carmouche just taking her down and holding her there. Liz Carmouche is like the gatekeeper. You know what I mean? Like that's what's happening. It's like you got like five chicks in the division, and even your gatekeeper chick can whoop ass. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, maybe like uh, uh, Jermaine Deronomy. Yeah. The, the, the other kickboxer girl. Right. Yeah. Like somebody like that. Just because I think she won her last fight. Like someone like that to give her someone that she can beat, look good doing it. And it moved her straight into the title fight. You do not want to. <clears throat> I don't think they want to risk a legit someone who can legitimately beat her um, losing beforehand. Yeah, well, her and Misha would be a good fight because they would sell the shit out of it. Just you know, it, it's like at that point they should just play like slow motion porn music because you know they'll try and sell it all like the the face of women's wrestling versus the face of women's boxing. <laughs> Just playing in the background real slow, <laughs> quarter turn and shit. It's like, because you know that's what they do, some old dumb shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm real interested to see what they do with Holly Holm. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, I'm pumped. Um, and I think it's a better signing than uh, Cyborg because, like, I'm done with Vitor. I'm pretty much done with Cyborg. If you're going to do what I was talking, cut to 135. Well, here's, do it. <laughs> well here's, the, here's the funny thing. Cyborg, it, it was announced... A couple of hours ago, um, Invicta's having their card on UFC Fight Pass. Cyborg is probably going to fight, and she's going to come down to 135. Big fucking... Mm. Uh-huh, exactly. Let's, let's see if that actually happens. Dudes in, the, dudes in the chat room are like, yo, is she going to cut a limb off? Like, what the fuck is going to happen? And I'm like, listen, this chick, she'll probably cut down to 135 twice. Once to get a fight and get noticed. Second time to fight Ronda, and that'll be that. <laughs> but Probably, you, but you know what's I, crazy? I, I just don't see her being able to make it consistently. This—that's a big woman. Yep. Like, 
and and I don't I don't I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Like, nope, she's I just, just a big she, chick. That'd be like John Jones cutting the 185. Like he can't do that. He physically cannot do that. <laughs> well, you know what's like, funny? It, just, it doesn't. But no, what I what I was gonna say was what they're gonna probably do with her is, and this is uh, again speculative. She'll probably take the fight at 135, do that fight, try and get on Dana's radar. Dana makes the fight. Maybe she'll come in and get a tune-up fight, fight Ronda. And I tell you this, and, you know, again, speculative, but she's the type of chick that she'll beat Ronda and then she'll retire. (laughs) She'll be like, I did what I got to do. I'm out. (laughs) Like, no bullshit, dude, because she knows. I think would be uh, an excellent thing they could do. Is if she wins this fight that's coming up at one thirty five, right? Make her fight Holly Holm. Oh, that would be, dude. That that's that's um secondary. That's Chuck Norris, Bruce Lee level bullshit, right there. <laughs> They'd be like, yo, you want? We got the two baddest chicks. They're gonna fight each other, and the winner fights Ronda. You're welcome. <laughs> and and quite honestly, I think Holly Holm tuned like straight tunes her up. Like, yeah. if anyone has actually seen, like, I've seen Chris Cyborg fight actual Muay Thai, yep. where she's not, like, just physically imposing on people. Right. She ain't that great. <laughs> she got mauled the last Muay Thai fight. I saw, like, beat the hell out of her. Yep. I, I think the things with Cyborg, which will be a problem when she comes down to 135, is she does a lot of bully fighting. Yep. Like, just being stronger than the girls. I don't think she'll be able to do that at 135. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, like I used to be like, oh, why doesn't the UFC find Marlouz Coonan? And I'm like, because Marlouz Coonan's a big, a bigger woman, and she'd probably have trouble cutting down yeah. to 135 as well. She ain't, and you don't see her trying to be like, yo, I want to fight in the UFC. She's like, yo, I'm good, you know. Yeah, like Marlouz Coonan knows where it, where it's at. Like, I can't make 135. I'm gonna stay over here in the Victor, which is kind of the UFC. Yep, and get some checks. Yep, and just chill. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. It's like. You got you got three women right now. Well, you got one out of three officially under the UFC banner, and that's Holly Holm. Um, Cyborg at this point is just a matter of semantics, and of course, you know you get Gina in the mix. And honestly, if Gina Carano came back to the UFC, you I, I'd probably I'd give her two fights. You know, maybe the Misha Tate fight. She gets past Misha Tate. Maybe give her you know a one fight to try and get a, a title shot, if anything. But I wouldn't go out of my way to make a super fight with Ronda because if Ronda comes in there and ethers that chick, it's like, yo, your legacy just got turned to shit. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's like you gotta you gotta kind of take these fighters, all of them, uh, Cyborg, Ronda, and Gina, because they're each they're each uh, their their significance to the sport is so big. You gotta give them some respect, you know? Oh yeah, and with Gina, I think I think Robbie will move up for Gina. Yeah, I think Rousey will move to the one forty five easy for Gina. Yep, she wouldn't do a starboard. Nope, <laughs> but she, she moved. She moved up for Gina. Um, because <clears throat> Gina, Gina had trouble making one forty five. Yep, so we know that. Many, many weigh-ins, <laughs> many weigh-ins <laughs> with just a towel. <laughs> and plus, it would not go well for Gina. Like, like Val said in the chat, she ain't fought in five years. Nope, <laughs> like it would not go well for her fighting uh, Ronda Rousey, but. I mean, it'd be a big money fight, but it just wouldn't go well. <laughs> that's a that's a 2015 moneymaker fight. If you want to surprise people, you know, we were talking about, you know, that last card of the year and they're doing it in 2015. It's like, yo, you sign like yeah. like Holly Holm and Cyborg as as one of the fights on that card. That is a guaranteed buy rate. Guaranteed. Because people are going to go eight. Yeah. Plus, yeah. I, like I said, I, I'd, I'd love to watch that fight because I would see Holly Holm would tune up cyborg <laughs> that fight would not be very close 
Well, you know what I like about it too? I like that Shannon Knapp is just chilling right now. You know, Invicta Invicta got this awesome placement. They're just hanging out on UFC Fight Pass, just chilling. And it's like all the women that are fighting now have a platform to be noticed. And on top of that, they know, especially some of the younger women, they know, you know, oh, I put on a little weight. I could get noticed and jump in at 135 and get that UFC money. Or 115. Yep, or 115. But see, 115. Go ahead. With the next season, Ultimate Fighter is. I mean, the the, the one fifteen division. I think at some point, they all of them will be moved to UFC. Um, and or, or everybody they have in one. Well, I don't even think they have a one thirty five division anymore. Or they, I'm not sure if they do. But I think all of them will eventually get moved to UFC. I'll tell you this: the 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 season of the Ultimate Fighter, all the women in that in that weight in that weight class right now. You know that at the end of the day, they're probably going to also say to themselves, "Yeah, you know, I'm fighting at X." But I could probably make that 135 if I wanted to. And some of those chicks at 135 would probably be extremely dangerous. Yeah. Like Rose Namajunas at 135. So what? I said Rose Namajunas at 135 would be a problem, dude. (laughs) I mean, she, I don't think she would have the strength. I mean, she's she's a small girl. 115, I think, is the best weight class for her. But, I mean, there's a couple couple people that are going on the show that could easily make... 135, or there's a couple people <clears throat> fighting at 145 in a victory that could probably make 135. Yep. So, you know, both divisions, I think, are going to get hashed out. With, and hopefully, you know, my idea of getting rid of the Ultimate Fighter and doing, like, a weekly fight card yep. of sorts <clears throat> so you can have more of these fights. You can give these people places to fight because you're, you're going to have a lot of weight classes. Yep. A lot of weight classes, <laughs> a lot of talent. A lot of weight classes. Well, to to, to and people want to see those fights. I don't want to have to buy fight pass to see all those fights. Nope, I agree. And you know what the funny thing is, and and you know this will this will kind of bring it home. We talked about creating new stars mm-hmm. and and you know the 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 lull that's been happening in MMA right now. It's like, listen, you got fertile ground right now between Holly Holm, Cyborg, the chicks from Invicta, the cast of season twenty of the Ultimate Fighter, Weidman, and most of those other guys. And if you push them, you can definitely create some 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 marketable stars to close out the year. And then, you know, it's funny because you see GSP on on Facebook. He's like, oh, look at me. I'm by the pool. And, you know, GSP's looking like looking like he 205 and shit right now. It's like, dude, come on. <laughs> GSP ain't worried about none of this fighting shit right nope. now. Nope. GSP. He <laughs> dude, he is. Li- I, I, I have a feeling. And, and you know, we, we were joking about this. A couple of weeks back, it's like GSP probably just wakes mm-hmm. up, gets a shape up, and goes to the club. It's like nine thirty in the morning. No, I'm going to the club. Uh, Bacardi taste at eleven thirty. <laughs> George, George, it's eleven thirty in the morning. Bacardi taste test. Bring out the shots. Like dude is just <laughs> running around, just reckless. This is gonna be a a bunch of pregnant women with GSP's kids because he's just running around acting a fool. Like GSP, it's like. GSP at this point should just go and do movies. He young, he could still fight. You know, he could go out and fight Scott Adkins and Donnie Yen in a couple of straight to DVD flicks, and he'd be all right. He'll be he'll be getting paid. You know, Van Dam will play his father and shit. I, <laughs> I think he'll end up doing maybe maybe a movie or something at some point. And I also think he'll probably end up fighting again. Like I don't think that. I think at some point he'll. He'll get the itch again because VSC was such a great athlete. Yep. Like I just think, and he's still physically in his prime. 
Yep. I think mentally for a while, mentally he was a little frazzled because, I mean, people don't realize, but that, that takes a lot out of you. Yep. Trying to be the best all the time. That takes a lot out of you. So <clears throat> I think mentally he was a little frazzled, but I think at some point he might want to come back, try to get his belt back and see how that goes for him. But, um, because <clears throat> I, I don't think he lost that much of a step. Like, I really don't think he did. Nah, dude. So, I mean, but right now he's living it up. He is <laughs> he's enjoying retirement. <laughs> dude, he is, he is. Every picture I see is just him just reckless, dude. Just, just, oh, look at me running the streets, listening to French hip hop. Just, 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 just craziness, dude. I'm like, yo, GSP comes back. And then, you know, it's funny because Johnny Hendricks like, yeah, yeah, he gained some weight, but he, he can't beat me. I'm like, dude, stop. <laughs> stop it. Like, stop, stop talking shit because that's what Nick Diaz did. And then GSP went to his dark place. And then that was that. Like, leave the motherfucker alone. Let him run the streets and you just enjoy having a beard, looking like a lumberjack and making that money. Like, don't bait the guy to come back. He put off the weight, too. Yeah, he just chilling, dude. They had a picture of him just eating a sandwich. (laughs) Just eating a sandwich, looking all happy and shit. Uh, You know, it's it's one of those things where these guys, like, GSP's in a weird place, like we were saying, because he don't need to come back if he don't want to because he's paid for life. But it's like, yo, don't test the dude. Like, Nick Diaz is in that mode, too. Like, yeah. Nick Diaz is, you know, he's chilling, smoking weed, you know, throwing middle fingers up on Instagram on the regular. And it's just like, dude, don't don't call the dude out. Because if it's a dude he wa- wants to fuck up, he'll be like, yo, yo, I'll be at the press conference, homie. Just straight up. Just like, don't be scared. Like, that's what I mean. Like, a lot of I these still dudes. Think I, I, Go ahead. Huh? Go ahead. I have the suspicion that Nick Diaz is going to come back and fight whenever Anderson Silva comes back. Yep. I have a suspicion that that's the fight they're, they're trying to make. Yep, that'll be the fight. And you know what? Fuck it. I'll take that fight. Let them both get paid. <laughs> that's all Nick Diaz, Diaz is looking for. Nate Diaz needs to, to fight and stop being weird. Yeah, I don't know uh, what, to, but, what his deal uh, is, dude. It's like, yeah, yo. Nick, Nick Diaz has kind of the right to be like, look, I want X amount of money. Yep. This dude was like the strike for, face of strike force. Right. And sells tickets. Nate Diaz, though. Nah. Well, Nate, Diaz, <laughs> Nate Diaz is trying to be like, yo, if it worked for Nick, it'll work for me. And, and Dana White's like, yo, dude, chill. Chill. <laughs> like, like, no, if it wasn't for Nick, it ain't got nothing to do with you. Oh, yeah. If it wasn't for Nick. <laughs> uh, he's like, yeah, B, but I won the Ultimate Fighter. And? <laughs> like, like, you know, like, Dana White's like, dude, you don't you don't got that kind of pull. Like, Nick Diaz could, could say, yo, I'm going to smoke a bowl, and I'm not going to make this press conference. And Dana White will be like, yo, do what you got to do. <laughs> you know, I'll tell the commission to wait two weeks to test you. Nick, eh, not so much. I mean, that's basically what they did during the Condit <laughs> fight. Like, Nick Diaz did not, literally did not have to show up to most of the press office. Nope. Like, there was no, they they put that in the contract. There was, he had to show up to the last, like, two yep. or something like that. Like, he didn't have to show up to any of the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was crazy, man. But we got, we, we got some, some good times. Hopefully, you know, we can, we can, over the next couple of months, when, when, when we talk MMA, we'll actually have some good shit to say about it because mm-hmm. we got some good stuff happening. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping, hoping that these cars pan out and the light gets hurt and we have some uh, good summer going into the fall of MMA. There you go. So you're officially moved into the new spot? Yep. Congratulations. Yep, yep. We're officially all moved in, yep. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Did, you. did you switch gigs? Um, no, nah, I still got the same job uh, for the time being okay. working on Working on trying to get out of it. <laughs> you not did you did you hear about Wale getting the call out? 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw. I actually saw that when it happened on Twitter, and I was a bit confused. And then I saw Wale's response, and was even more confused. So like, <laughs> I, I don't know why people are so mad. Dude, hip <laughs> hip hop is in a be, and it's funny. I I always feel that hip hop, the NBA, they all get shitty at the same time. And it was funny because everybody was like, "Yo, we we were joking about it," and, and my boy, he was like, "Man, that." That it comes off racist, but it's true. Shit gets weird in hip hop, and then shit gets weird in the MMA. I mean, in uh, in the NBA. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Around this time of the year, when yep. they, when there's no games going on and people and just it just nah, it gets weird around this time of year. <laughs> yep. This is when you get this is when you get the random mixtape with dubstep and hip hop on the same thing from some dude who's just one of the grimiest rappers ever, and he just puts out a dubstep hip-hop mixtape, and you're like, dude, what are you doing? And the dude's like, chill, man, it's August, I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what happens. They got no NBA games to go to. Yeah, no NBA games, no money to floss, nothing. It's just, it, it, unless it's football season or basketball season, it's like, no. Dude would be like, yo, World Cup? Nah, dude, nah, nah. Check out this regga- <laughs> reggaeton hip-hop mixtape. With a special Skrillex appearance on the second track, like that's 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 how crazy it is. <laughs> yeah, it's that, it's that weird time of year right now, man. <laughs> there you go. All right, man. So you know, here's to five years, man. I'm glad to have had you on board. You know, through through the later part of the years, you know, with MTR, man, and you know, definitely love having you as part of the team, bro. I appreciate your your contributions. Thanks, man. It, it's been it's been a pleasure to to work with you and work with everybody. Uh, on the show and I, I thank you for the opportunity there you go alright my dude I'll catch up with you thanks again for calling in alright man alright brother alright man peace peace there you go that was Ben make sure to follow Ben on Twitter at blackout89 B-L-A-Q-O-U-T 89 on Twitter of course you can always catch him contributing on our Facebook fan page as well again follow Ben on Twitter at blackout89 for those of you just tuning in and looking at the mtrlive.com and wondering why we are not on GFQ. Just a quick reminder that our GFQ feed is not working. Andrew's on vacation. But if you scroll down, you can either listen to the Mixler feed, full audio, 96K stereo, or you could scroll down and see the really shitty Ustream video feed that we are running in the interim. As always, if you want to call in and contribute, 347-324-3541. Again, 347-324-3541. Three five four one. All right. So wrestling wise, there's there's a lot of crazy stuff I want to get into. So let's not beat around the bush. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com. Get the latest wrestling tees at WWEShop.com and any other collectibles as well, plus Blu-rays and DVDs. Uh, use promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 on orders over $70 or more. Again, WWESAVE10 is the promo code, and our wrestling sponsor is WWEShop.com. All right, so this week's wrestling segment, um, definitely got to talk Raw because Raw was fucking insane. Um, it's funny because when we were talking about Raw this week, uh, Josh and I, Josh calls me up and 
He usually calls me up the next day and he goes, did you think Raw was complete bullshit? And I said, I was like, you know, I don't think Raw was bullshit at all. On the contrary, I really thought Raw was rather decent. I, I even felt it, I, it was borderline academic in the sense that there was a lot of angle advancement. But from what I saw, especially uh, with the opening segment, they're really, really going hard, putting Roman Reigns over and trying to get him into this this upper level of of just, you know, main event status. Like, you could see that in that opening promo exchange when you saw it, you're like, all right, yeah, you know, Roman Roman's definitely stepping his game up. And he really did step his game up. I felt that the the promo exchange, the brawl with Kane, it was just a, a, a tremendous opener. I want to see if I can actually play it. Um, I want to see if I can play this and you guys can check it out because his exchange with Kane... And the promo work that was that was involved for the entire segment was definitely well done. I don't know how well it's going to look on Ustream, but in either case, you know, you can always watch it on the archive. As I was saying, um, you know, check this out. Let's see if this works. No, that's better. All right, so let's add this in here. All right, so check this out. So with their absence, are you uh, standing in for the authority now? Are you no longer the devil's favorite demon? Because lately it just looks like you're Triple H's lapdog. Nah, nah, let me correct myself. Lately... It looks like you just Randy Orton's bitch. There it is. Oh, you called him a bitch. Ooh. Oh, boy. And here comes the Demon Kane. Well, even you guys got to admit, them's fighting words. Take a shot for the Demon Kane. And Roman Reigns not going to wait for Kane. Here we go. Kane and Reigns exchanging blows. And Reigns taking it to Kane. And now Kane with a right to Reigns. There you go. Kane trying to beat the shit out of him. And um, look at that. And now Reigns in control. Melee's coming inside the ring. What a monstrous right hand. Look at that. And now Kane. There you go. Roman Reigns is hype right now. Feeling real good. Oh, there it is. There you go. Just beat him like he stole something. I like it. I like how Kane is beating on him and Kane is wearing a fake wig, but it looks just as real as Roman Reigns' hair. Like it's a wig attached to a mask and it looks so obvious. There you go. Just just put the beating on him. No, he's not. Oh, all the refs are going to come in. And it's like, when the hell have refs ever been good for anything when they break up something? Oh, there you go. Hold that choke slam, ref. Oh, 
You know what I like? I like that they send the agents out looking like stooges. You see Fit Finley and Jamie Noble, who used to be a badass. And he's there wearing his toddler suit from Young World. Roman Reigns like, yo, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm chill. Finley's like, yeah, what the fuck is going on? All of a sudden, Jamie Noble gets pushed away. Finley eats the spear like a champion. There you go. It was a so definitely a solid opener. I liked um, the fact that the agents took a beating. But the funny thing is that usually you beat up an authority figure on WWE television. Nobody, there's no reprimanding. There's no retribution of any sort. Roman Reigns pretty much killed Jamie Noble dead and... Fit Finley got the Irish knocked out of him, but no one's going to say anything because, you know, it's Roman Reigns. He uses Perp Plus. Anyway, as I was saying, overall, I felt that the, the, segment, the segment was definitely a great opener. I did feel that Roman Reigns really came into his own, and it really showed the way that they let him kind of run with the ball. He beat up the agents, which was good. Just, just great. A great buildup for Roman Reigns. I have to attribute this also to Daniel Bryan's injury. I do feel that Roman Reigns' push probably got accelerated due to Daniel Bryan's uh, injury and his extended leave of absence. Uh, one thing I will say, though, is that when you look at Roman Reigns, you can probably book him like this for the foreseeable future. Just really, really simple, basic promo work. And it wouldn't really hurt anybody. You know, you basically got Kyle, you got Kyle Drogo in a vest out there fucking shit up. As much as nobody wants to admit it, that's who you got. You got Kyle Drogo whooping ass in a vest. That's it. He don't need to say much. I stab you in face. Yeah, that's it. Like, he doesn't need to do much because he's got the look. He's got, you know, the as soon as that guitar riff hits and he comes out, everybody knows what time it is. You don't need detailed deep emotional promos from Roman Reigns you just need I'm gonna punch you in the fucking face you know and that's it that's that's all it's either that or or panty dropper promos like yeah Renee you looking real good today you know like that's that's what you need you either need ass whooping promos or panty dropper promos again don't make him impersonate the rock because it's gonna look stupid but just the right amount just the right amount of of you know badass and suaveness can can really round out his character again you don't need to do much with roman reigns he sells himself and this is something i say with pretty much every member of the shield you know you got seth rollins coming out there snarfing it up looking like snake plissken you don't gotta do much and dean ambrose is just <laughs> dean ambrose is on a completely different level of, of promo work and just ring work He's just, he's, he's completely out of his fucking mind and it works. Like if you wanted to build an anti-hero right now, uh, you know, Brian Pillman 2.0, a brand new Stone Cold Steve Austin, you have it in Dean Ambrose. And we talked about this last week and the week prior. And it was the fact that, you know, everybody talks about the next Stone Cold, the next, the next rock, the next, uh, you know, ultimate warrior, the next Hulk Hogan, the next Stone Cold Steve Austin the next Brian Pillman is Dean Ambrose. He's got the look. 
His, his crazy mannerisms are good. The only thing I don't like is when they try to water down his gimmick. This was what I said when Triple H was trolling him two weeks back. He's like, oh, you're going to get all crazy. It's like, listen, you're trying to book this guy as a loose cannon, as just a a, a, a reckless lunatic. You really got to gotta cater to that gimmick. And this is something where, you know, you can make fun of John Cena for trying to be, you know, trying to be thugged out. Or you can make fun of, of Santino. Or you can make fun. But there's certain guys who they need the endorsement of not only the crowd, but they need the endorsement of the commentary team and the endorsement of management in a public setting. Like, Dean Ambrose should be out there being a complete lunatic, and Triple H should be like, whatever you say, man, whatever you say, just, you know, just calm down, Dean, calm down, don't get all crazy. Like, you know, you have to respect the gimmick, and that's something that I feel it has really lost its stride. It's like... Dean Ambrose pretty much comes out dressed like one of the guys from Streets of Rage 2. And, you know, he, he, he with the ratty hood and just being a complete lunatic. And the, the, the commentary team, they're just like, oh, it's Dean Ambrose lunatic fringe. It's like, that's not how you book this guy. I liked, I kind of liked what JBL said. He was like, yeah, man, you know, Seth Rollins always said that if Dean Ambrose wasn't wrestling, he'd be in a straight jacket. And that's the kind of thing you got to say consistently. You have to endorse the fact that Dean Ambrose is a fucking psychopath. If that's what you want to book him as, you know, nobody's saying, hey, do you want to know how I got these scars? You want to know? Like, nobody's telling him to go out there and be Heath Ledger. But definitely let him have that, that, that vibe, that vibe where you notice that something is a little off, a little crazy. You know, you look at guys like Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake didn't come out there and tell you he was crazy. Jake the Snake was booked in a way that when you looked at him, you said to yourself, that guy's an evil son of a bitch. And that's what you need. You need that with a guy like Ambrose. Whether you're booking him as a full-on villain or you're booking him as an anti-hero, he has to have belief from everybody else. The fans already believe in him. You know, they believe in Ambrose. They believe in Ambrose violence. They believe in that. But if you have your commentators and your management and authority figures making it look like his gimmick is a sideshow, it's not going to bring, it's not going to exude that level of, oh shit, this guy's out of his fucking mind. And that's what it is. You know, he needs to be, this is a guy who you guys have seen the promos that I've shared that he's done on the independent circuit. The, the guy knows what he has to do. It's just management doesn't know how to, how, to, how to gift wrap him for the audience. You know what the problem is? Dean Ambrose needs what I like to call the, he needs his Austin 316 moment. When Stone Cold Steve Austin cut that promo, the Austin 316 promo, the promo that we all remember, we know that that was the moment. That was the moment when you know that Austin 316 means I just whooped your ass. You knew it. It was there. And this is what needs to happen with Ambrose. Ambrose needs that moment. The problem is that when you're in a PG environment, Ambrose can't pass out in a pool of his own blood during a first blood match or a submission match or whatever the case may be. You can't do that anymore, the crimson mask. So you have to find other ways, alternative ways, to make his gimmick believable. And I think in a PG-13 era, it still works. Because at first glance, you look at Dean Ambrose, you see like 
ECW 1999. That's what you see. Like when you look at Dean Ambrose come out in his jeans and his tank top and his his sleeveless hoodies or his leather jackets, you're seeing ECW. You're seeing that type of a persona, that that really gritty, uh, hard nosed, slightly deranged persona that was more commonplace in ECW. It's almost like WWE is scared to give this character life. Like they're approaching it with white gloves. You don't need white gloves for for Dean Ambrose. You need insanity. You need chaos. You need destruction. You need him whooping Seth Rollins' ass everywhere. Oh, Seth Rollins is at the catering truck. Gets his ass whooped. Like I said last week, oh, Seth Rollins at the airport. Ambrose whooping his ass. Oh, Seth Rollins renting a rental car. Dean Ambrose is in the fucking trunk. And he just pops out of the back seat. Like, that's the kind of shit you need. You need that. You need that, you know, Seth Rollins like, oh, I'm just going to rent a car to drive to the next event. And all of a sudden, it's like you see the dash cam in the car because it's a rental. And Dean Ambrose is pushing down the back seat and whooping Seth Rollins' ass, you know, on the side of a highway. Like something, and you got to have it like somebody pulls over and they take cell phone footage. Like, oh, you know, a couple of the guys sharing a car on the road pulled over because it looks like Dean Ambrose was hiding in Seth Rollins' truck. And it's just them. And, and again, cell phone camera footage just, just to add a level of realism to it. You know, WWE is talking about embracing the reality era. There's no better person to do it with than Ambrose. Ambrose and Wyatt are probably the two characters that would benefit the most from the quote-unquote reality era because they have so much more to offer their their characters and just their feuds right now. But again, I digress. I can always um you know, I can always touch back on it. Anyway, so the first match of the night was the Usos and the Wyatts and I continue to stand by the fact and I said it in my 3Rs column that the Usos and the Wyatts have amazing chemistry. We're seeing uh, really, really great tag team wrestling from both teams, and it's really good because you're not you're not noticing right away who's meant to gain the upper hand. In other words, at first glance, you're like, oh yeah, the Usos are going to keep winning, and then the Wyatts are going to steal one. But this was a super competitive match where the Wyatts looked very good. I like that the Wyatts finally got their own music. It adds to their character, and it kind of helps them move away from the 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 larger-than-life persona of Bray Wyatt and kind of stand on their own. I really feel that the Wyatts are, there's a lot you can do with them, and by making them champions, you cannot even you don't even have to make it about the belts. You could just make it that, you know, they coveted the belts, they wanted the belts, but it's it doesn't matter to them that they're champions. You know, it's that that's that's really the easiest way to book that. But again, it was definitely solid, solid wrestling. Now, the the backstage segment with Orton and Kane um, talking about the Roman Reigns situation with Seth Rollins, I liked because the level of dissension that was there was it felt natural. Like both guys hate Seth Rollins because he's the new kid on the block and he's and he's kind of gassed on himself, but. Randy Orton, motherfuckers hate you because you're boring as shit and you're gassed on yourself too. Like, I like that entire exchange because it was very, very well written. And it showed that when you have good writing, backstage segments can work flawlessly. So, 
I got to talk about Rusev and Rob Van Dam. Um, I was I was bummed. I was bummed about this. It felt like I was watching a scene from Bloodsport with Van Dam fighting, you know, the bad guy at the end. Um, just you know what the problem is with Rusev's character? You're you're putting you're using Rusev as this this force, this this immovable force that can't be stopped and feeding him a guy like Rob Van Dam, while it looks like a step up in competition, it actually hurts a guy like Van Dam because Van Dam is this lovable, carefree guy who's always going to be upper card right near the main event. And Rusev beating him, honestly, in my opinion, didn't do anything for Rusev. On the contrary, what it, what it succeeded in doing was just, oh, Rusev claims another victim. Like it really, it really didn't add anything more to to Rusev's persona, other than Rob Van Dam's interruption. Now, partly I say that they went with this because you couldn't use Jack Swagger because of Jack Swagger's criminal charges. That was one of the reasons why he wasn't able to be uh, he wasn't able to perform in Canada. It was it was definitely one of those things where when I saw it, I was like, all right. You know, I understand you got to use Zeb to put it over, so you might as well feed him Rob Van Dam. But you can see that it was just a match that was put together. They're like, shit, we can't have Jack up here, so let's just go with, you know, let's go with um, with with a step up in competition. Who do we got? All right, what's a solid upper card guy that we can use? Well, Christian is injured, and Kofi Kingston's been beat up too many times. Eh, Rob Van Dam will do. And, um, no, 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 Val, uh, Jack Swagger didn't get locked up, but he, um, the criminal charges that he had from that DUI do not allow him to go to Canada. Him, R-Truth, um, certain performers with criminal charges cannot perform in Canada because of, you know, their criminal charges do not allow them to cross the border. So that's one of the reasons why they went with the Zeb Coulter video promo, but it was because of Jack Swagger's criminal record so i figured i'd clear that up uh yeah exactly the probation definitely um a bigger factor but like i said rusev beating rvd didn't do rvd any favors on the contrary it just it just felt very awkward and mismatched uh you know i really didn't like it and it's no disrespect to rusev i think rusev and his control top wrestling tights um they're 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 good where 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 appropriate but taking on a guy like Van Dam, you know, Van Dam is a, it, 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 you know, he, he's a, he was a victim of poor booking. John says that Rusev is a victim of poor booking, but Van Dam is also a victim of poor booking because Van Dam's a guy that he can get a pop immediately. And any heel that he feuds with will learn from, you know, will learn from Rob Van Dam, you know, on multiple levels. Obviously, working with a high flyer, but also working with a guy who has the crowd in the palm of his hand with minimal effort. Again, something that needed to be brought up. The other thing I got, I wanted to go into was the Dean Ambrose-Randy Orton match. Now, you guys know I always talk about Randy Orton, you know, being master of the chin lock. And, um, you know, I, I give Randy Orton a lot of shit, but this match with Ambrose was surprisingly good. Not only that, but it had great storytelling. And even in this instance, even though Ambrose was on the losing end, he still came out like a winner just because of the story that was told during the match. Check this out. I want you guys to see this and, uh, you know, see it for yourselves. Let's go to the small screen. 
little YouTube, drop that URL. Check this out. Ambrose is going for dirty deeds and Randy Orton up over the top rope. He's crazy. Yeah. He floats, but not as long as. You hear this commentary team just making Ambrose look like a fucking amateur? Ambrose tossing a chair into the ring. Watch it, Michael. He may toss you in there. Oh, that'd be good. That's it. See, Ambrose just being a complete lunatic. There's more out here. I think there's some plans for Randy Orton. Talk about the lunatic fringe. See, people were even chanting ECW. Yep, exactly. Shame on the king is right, Jay. There you go. See, just a lot of brutality at work. Look at that. And it works. The level of brutality in this match was good. Like, I think a long-term feud with these guys would work. See the hangman DDT, nice spot. There you go. I really feel that the King has become a terrible fucking commentator as of late. I think it will do it, King. I don't think Dean Ambrose is gonna be able to continue here. There you go. Val says I think Randy is held back by boring feuds. See that? You got to show the grit of Ambrose. There you go. Randy Orton cannot believe that Ambrose made it back into the ring. Randy Orton thought his night was over, that he's going to get a waltz out of here. There you go. Nice, nice stomps from Orton. The fight goes on. Oh, another DDT. Trying to do it again. First time for the barricade to the floor. Now trying to do it from the second rope into the ring. Oh, boy. Hey, wait, a minute, wait a minute. See that? That was good. Good psychology. There it is. Whole lat. See? Now, the good thing about that is, you know, Ambrose does the rope bounce spot, and he really makes it look good. But... It just works so well. Again, see JBL putting them over. Yep, good storytelling, great psychology. And the loss did not hurt Dean Ambrose. Like I said, there was good storytelling, psychology, and it adds an, a little extra layer. Now, if, if the rumors are to be believed, Orton is going to be feuding with Roman Reigns. And that feud, of course, will lead to Roman Reigns' inevitable match with Triple H. Now, I really would like to see Randy Orton feud with a guy like Ambrose because I think Ambrose would bring something different out of Orton. Remember, we used to talk about 
uh, just Randy Orton having that killer instinct, punting motherfuckers in the head when he was remotely interesting. I think that's exactly what we need in this case. I think we need Ambrose to bring that out. I think Ambrose is the guy. He's the catalyst that would bring that out. It was it was a tremendous match. Definitely one of the high points of the night. And, um, you know, right after that, we got Alberto Del Rio and Dolph Ziggler, which it pretty much leads to my what the fuck moment of the evening. And that was just Fandango's involvement in this match, which was, oh my God, it was, it was, it was so random. And you know what the thing was? Fandango wasn't even trying to dance. He just looked, he looked terrible. He looked like he was having a seizure out there. I'm like, really? You got, so let me get this straight. Dolph Ziggler, a seasoned veteran was distracted by Fandango's terrible dancing. It was, the segment was so bad. It was good. Like, um, you know, the, like Robert Downey Jr. Like Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes said, "It's so overt, it's covert." Like it was such a a terrible segment at a first glance that it was good just because it was so stupid. You know, it was it was you know it was crazy that you look at you look at that segment and people were like, "Really, Dolph Ziggler's feuding with Fandango?" But it makes me realize that Fandango has an upside. Like, his color commentary for Dolph Ziggler's match was as bizarre as can be expected. But you know what? It actually worked. The fans really did like that shit. It was stupid. It was over the top and insane. But in a weird and crazy way, it genuinely worked. I was like, oh, all right. He was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out there. How do you feel about Summer Rae? Uh, I, I like Summer Rae. Summer Rae's, Summer Rae's nice, and it's, it was so weird, and then, you know, that, that extra segment where he's making out with Layla, and Summer Rae's over there wearing her, her pink feathers, looking like a, like a giant pelican, she actually looked like a flamingo in that particular one, she really did look like a flamingo, just, just hanging out there in Fandango, what's probably gonna happen is Fandango's either gonna end up with both of them, a la Tommy Dreamer, when, when he had the two chicks fighting over him, or, it's going to end up that both chicks are going to leave him and who knows maybe they'll they'll become some sort of a tag team maybe they'll be the new um like I said Michelle McCool Layla duo which I mentioned in my 3 R's I think that's that's kind of the direction I see it going just because it it makes the most sense but you can probably squeeze a couple of more segments out of Fandango just to make it interesting but Summer Rae is just listen Summer Rae being the catalyst in this feud is acceptable, but yo, Summer Rae is shit. Everybody talks about her ring work in NXT, but the last couple of times I've seen her wrestle in NXT, it, it I don't understand where did like I, you know, and, and I talked about this with Jay last week, you know, where the 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 major leaguer, the minor leaguers come to the Yankees and then play like shit. Like what happened? Summer Rae, all this talk about her ring work, it, it's it's abysmal. I mean, don't get me wrong, better, better than Oksana and, um, better than, than the Bellas back in the day, but, but Summer Rae, all this talk about, oh, she's, it it just, she, she looks, it looks terrible. Like this, this segment with Fandango where she's standing in the doorway, I kid you not, the bitch looked like a fucking flamingo. It really did nobody any favors. And I'm looking at it and I'm saying to myself, all right, you know, it's kind of, it, it, it kind of works, 
But, but look, look for yourself. Check this shit out. Let's go to the videotape, shall we? Look at this. So. There's Fandango randomly just dancing backstage. Nothing, nothing abnormal about this whatsoever. What were you doing out there? Are you like jealous because Dolph kissed Summer? Baby, baby, you know I only have eyes for you. <laughs> so, what was your motivation? Who asked that? What was your motivation? Who asked that? Most unnatural dialogue ever. You'd find a dude that would hit that would fill you up. Duh. <laughs> it almost looked like he was just gonna push her head down like it's okay it's okay like Joe Pesci in Casino there she is look at her yes like I don't understand how, how people think that she's such a dime like, like it was funny they put a picture of her I think they did like a uh, FIFA photo shoot and they put a picture of her on Instagram and dudes was like yo man Summer Rae's a bad chick and I'm like on what planet are you are you do you live do you live in a town where the women have no arms and no legs like do you live in in, in torso town seriously do you live in torso town where it's just armless and legless chicks running around on skateboards like like come on and I'm not even saying that because, you know, I'm trying to be elitist or have standards. But when you look at the current roster, like, like it was funny because when they put the picture of her, somebody's like, yeah, well, she's better looking than Layla. And I'm like, are we are we looking at the same people? Like, it's like it's crazy. Like Summer Rae is Michelle McCool 2.0. Incredibly athletic, but that's it. You know, it's funny. Blade says Summer is bad, man. Bad in the ring, bad as a valet. <laughs> Summer is so bad. But that's what I'm saying. Like, like people. And, and it's funny. I think uh, Jay, I see Jay's in the chat. Jay, go to I think WWE's Instagram posted it. See if you can see the uh, the photo that they put up from the soccer photo shoot with Summer Rae. And I know a lot of the comments were deleted. I think WWE's policing their social media more. But, yo, some of the shit people were writing on there, I'm like, really? Like, I understand. Listen, you live you live in, a, in, in an area where maybe, you know, like, it, it, you see. All right, let, let me put it this way. In New York City, we have a melting pot of just women of different nationalities, um, just mixed nationalities, 100% nationalities, and... There's such an endless, an endless mixture of, of, of women that wander the streets of New York that our standards are, I don't even want to say our, our, our standards are high, but we can, we can spot that, you know, you can see regular, better looking women on a daily basis. I mean, the same thing can happen for people. I know uh, guys that live on the West Coast who I'm friends with that live in California. They'll be the first to say, yo, California has, has some of the most beautiful women in the game and um you know of course we're always going to debate 
which which areas have better you know better looking women whether it's california florida new york city texas it's always going to be you know the caribbean it's always going to be a debate but what gets me is that summer ray is michelle mccool 2.0 she she's she's an she's an attractive girl she's you know for what for what it is but she's again like like to see and and we we went into this whole big debate and i'm not going to beat it up but i just feel that you're creating you're putting this girl at the center of this love triangle instead of just booking her as a wrestler it, it's crazy it, it's just crazy the way that they you know they tried it like it's funny that eva marie who can't wrestle is is probably considered a better diva than summer ray and i and I, you know what I think I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a poll on the on the site probably within the next couple of days. And I I'm curious to see. I'm gonna do a poll with Summer Ray, um, Oksana, and I'm just gonna call it like the Dud Diva poll. And I wanna see which diva gets is considered the biggest dud. And the reason I say that is because you look at let's look at let's go down the list. Rosa Mendez, Summer Ray. Uh, Oksana, uh, Cameron, um, that, that's a pretty solid list. All duds, all duds. They're all duds for different reasons. They're either duds because of their shitty mic work. They're duds because of their terrible ring work, or they're just duds because of just poor booking. And the funny thing is that people are like, oh, well, you know, what about Lana? Lana is a valet. Lana doesn't come out there and try to pretend to be a wrestler. And who knows? Maybe she's a very, very good wrestler. We don't know that. But as far as I'm concerned, if you're going out there to be a a wrestler, then you should have the fundamentals of wrestling established. Either that or we need more valets. Seriously. Now, it's funny. Val says that Emma Emma sucks. Here's the thing. In in the in the grand scheme of things, I feel Emma is a better wrestler than Summer Rae. Now, is Emma's gimmick better? No, Emma's gimmick is fucking terrible. When she has fucking windsock guy, no, windsock guy is with Bailey. I forgot. I almost got to confuse. Emma has the bubbles, and Bailey has windsock guy. Neither neither one <laughs> neither one is winning any sort of a, of a popularity contest. Um, I'll agree with what, what, what Blade says that Emma needs to join the exotic express. Well, since Santino retired, I think Emma is either going to be sent back to NXT or they're just going to keep her off television and one day just cut her loose because the most exposure she got was with Santino. That's all I'm saying. But either way, I, I feel that the quality of divas right now in terms of wrestling ability is very limited and we're forced to deal with, you know, um, you know, the Camerons, the, the, the Eva Marie's like, I understand with Jojo, they pulled Jojo off TV because they felt that she sucked. But if that's the case, you should pull Eva Marie off. I mean, I understand you got to get total divas over and that's great, but come on, you know, it's, it's don't, don't do it to yourselves. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, So Sheamus took on Damian Sandow after Damian Sandow came out and impersonated Bret Hart. Now, the funny thing about this is that as soon as I heard Bret Hart was going to be on Raw, 
all I said was who's going to interrupt him, who's going to um, say something terrible about him, and sure as shit, it was Damian Sandow. You know, it, and, and again, I continue to say the same thing, and I've said it in the last couple of 3R columns. Damian Sandow is a fucking company guy. He is a trooper in every sense of the word because he's going out there just just pretending to be basketball players, former wrestlers, and he's he's trying to make it work, and he's doing as best as he can, but it's like, yo, you just jobbed out Damian Sandow to a stroke victim. No disrespect to Bret Hart. You know, Bret Hart is a legend, but you really needed to to sacrifice Damian Sandow to put Bret Hart over in Canada? Are you fucking kidding me? You know, like it, it really is like Big Show booking 2.0 because it's 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 ridiculous. Blade says Monday is going to be Damian Stingdow, which would be amazing. Just him coming out with the with the old 90 Sting flat top and the war paint. Just it's showtime. Then all of a sudden the arena goes dark and fucking Sting appears in the ring. Oh, it'd be insane. I mean, if you use Damian Sandow like that, I could let that slide. I think that would work. But when you're using Damian Sandow to put over Bret Hart in Canada, it's an insult to my intelligence as a wrestling fan. Bret Hart doesn't need anybody to put him over or to be the sacrificial lamb because it's Bret Hart, again, Bret Hart in fucking Canada. You don't need it. It's not necessary in the least. Anyway, you know, Sheamus and and Damian Sandow went as academic as you would expect. Um, We got a Miz backstage segment, which I went to the bathroom for because the Miz's return has been exactly as, as, you know, we all predicted, mild as fuck. But he had a really good match with Jericho. Uh, There was definitely no wrestling ring rust from either guy. They looked really good in their matches. And, um... You know, the Miz, he's trying to he's trying to make a chicken salad out of chicken shit. Um, his booking is is lackluster, but his wrestling with Jericho was very, very good. I mean, him being the the catalyst for the Wyatts and everything, I got no no I got zero problem with that. None whatsoever. So the Funkadactyls took on Paige and AJ. Now the thing about this was Paige and AJ are were in a tag team match against the Funkadactyls, and basically you used your champion and her number one contender to, in essence, break up the Funkadactyls, which at this point, nobody really cared because we all knew that Naomi was truly the star of this entire affair. Naomi is, without a doubt, one of the divas that you can build an entire division around. She's marketable, She's, um, you know, she, she's extremely marketable. She's extremely athletic. She has a great grasp of the fundamentals and she really does look like a natural out there mixing it up with some of the more established divas. I think that, you know, Cameron, the, the, the Funkadactyl's gimmick has run its course. And at this point you're looking at, oh, well, Cameron and Naomi are on total divas. Listen. You have an entire roster of women that can take Cameron's place very easily. Cameron, I wouldn't I would not be shocked if Cameron got cut in 2015. In 2015, I would not be shocked if Cameron got cut. 
I almost feel that Cameron is using WWE as a vehicle to get all her other projects off the ground. Besides the fact that that blonde weave looks fucking terrible. Holy shit. Like, I was watching uh, watching them have their little shoving match, and I'm like, yo, that weave. Like, what did you... Did they take the fucking tail hair off California Chrome after the fucking Belmont Stakes and put it on your head? Holy shit, was it terrible. That hair was god I'm looking at her hair, and I'm like, yo, that is bad news. Like, like I'm afraid that weave has got some bad news. Like, it was... It was terrible. Val says that Cameron will be cut by Labor Day. <laughs> Damn, Val, you're not even giving it. <laughs> Jay Santi, that hair has its own bed. <laughs> oh, shit. Yes. Yo, when they had that exchange, I felt like I was watching a fight on the Q44. If you're a New Yorker, you get the reference. Like, I felt like I was just leaving high school, getting on the Q44, and two chicks were fighting. I was waiting to see if there was going to be a piece of blonde weave crumpled in a neat little pile on the floor after their pull-apart brawl. Oh, my God. It was terrible. Oh man, I I don't know. I didn't know if I was watching Raw or a World Star Hip Hop video off of Facebook cuz it was it was really that bad. And you know what it is? I feel bad for Naomi because you know Vince is like, "I want you girls to fight like you're in the hood." But Vince, you know, we're divas. We could just go out there and have a good match. Pull each other's hair, damn it. Just going out there just tell them to fight like 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 they're in the projects. I'm shocked that Naomi didn't get a jar of Vaseline and shit. And Vaseline her hair before they started fighting. <laughs> it, it, it was so bad. So, so bad. Like, I understand you want to break them up. I got it. No problem. But it just looks so forced and so shitty. Like, at that point, you should have just, you know, you, you should have just had Cameron making out with. <laughs> Jay just said, call each other ratchet. Damn it. Call each other ratchet or you are fired. oh it was so fucking bad so bad just just a world star hip-hop ass whooping um so kofi kingston got sacrificed to antonio cesaro once again and um yeah (laughs) i think they wanted to make up for kofi kingston pretty much being beaten like a slave uh the previous week and um you know, it was, it was good. It was, it was really, it was good. Uh, I don't know if they're trying to do the whole Kofi Kingston surprise victory, uh, push, but I will say that, you know, after the beating he took from Cesaro last week, you got to give the guy something because it's, (laughs) it really, (laughs) oh God, the comments in the chat, Jay, Naomi was trying to fight the weave blade cameron is the weaves manager yes yes somebody photoshop a face on that weave please (laughs) just a face and then accompanied accompanied to the ring by cameron weave (laughs) believe believe in the weave yes i just believe (laughs) 
believe in the weave. Believe in in California Chrome's tail hair. <laughs> uh, fucking terrible. I'm so going to hell, but I will go with gasoline drawers on. Speaking of Bo leaving and Bo Dallas, so Bo Dallas had a match with El Torito. Um, yeah. I can't even I can't even look at this match with a straight face and say anything positive about it. I think the only thing that can sum up this match would be Or Bo 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 Oh shit. Blade Sincara left and came back as El Torito. Come on, man. Christ. Anyway, yeah, but that was just terrible. It doesn't even dignify um a response. Anyway, so John Cena had a match with Seth Rollins and it was pretty good. It was really, really good. Up until Kane decided to involve himself. And um yeah, John Cena wins by DQ. Um, R- Rollins tries to cash in and Ambrose is involved. But the funny thing about this entire turn of events is that when you see the match itself, you say, oh, you know, the match was really good. It leads me to believe that they would have a really good solo match. But the best part of it is exactly what I said before. Just Rollins trying to cash in and Ambrose playing the role of spoiler. It was as academic and as flawless as can be expected. Check this out. Okay, maybe not. All right, so YouTube is not working. Gee, that was, uh, let's try that again. I want to actually show this highlight because Rollins is trying to cash in, hoping for the best. And and you should know by now you can't cash in when Ambrose is in the building. Just doesn't work. Oh, well, clearly. um, All right. Now the video froze. Oh, this is fantastic. Very, very fantastic. It looks like the video froze. Uh, Yes, no. Yeah, the video did freeze. Uh, can you guys tell me if the video froze in um, on Ustream? Because it looks like it did. Hold on a second. Let me try this again. Hold on a second, guys. You guys are going to have to... There you go. Clearly this... Um... Ah, nothing wants to work right today. Hold on a second, folks. All right, that's better. So let's see if we can try and go to this video clip. No? Nope, clearly not. Clearly the um, the video clips are not working. I don't know if it was because it was crashed by uh, Ustream, but the Ustream feed seems to be working. Man, I got to find a better way to give you guys video because this shit is just not the move. Anyway, as I was saying, 
Yeah, no video, just static. Thank you. Uh, close the program. All right. So now the Ustream video froze too. Oh, it's just fucking terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible across the board. You know what the worst part is? I think it, it messed up um, the video as a whole. There we go. Let's see if that works. Yeah, I think um, we're going to have some, some serious issues with this video going forward. Anyway. Ah, okay. You know what, Val? I don't know if Twitch would let me do the show, but you definitely are onto something. Maybe I'll research Twitch for for next time. I think that definitely might work. But um, anyway, as I was saying, the the overall the overall presentation with Raw was as good as can be. I felt that the match itself, the matches themselves, were very very good. Um, no, Jay Cameron's weave did not mess up the video. <laughs> <laughs> Christ on I I can't. <laughs> the weave got tangled in some wires. Thanks John. Thanks. Anyway, Raw as a whole was was very solid. I did feel um like I said it was just a lot of angle advancement with the authority not being on television. You guys will probably agree that overall it was just a better program as a whole. Like the whole authority thing is definitely running its course and it was very very apparent um, this past week, no, no triple H, no Stephanie McMahon and everything ran flawlessly. I got to admit it worked and I had no issues with it whatsoever. Anyway, let's talk about the other wrestling news for the week. Um, Kevin Steen, uh, posted a video recently announcing his final dates with ring of honor. All signs point to Kevin Steen heading to WWE. He has matches July 12th, 18th and 19th. Um, He'll be taking Tommaso Ciampa uh, in one of his first matches. Then he's going to have a match with Silas Young. And his final match will be with his mentor, Steve Carino. Carino will be coming out of retirement for that match. All signs point to Kevin Steen heading to NXT this summer. I'm really, really hoping that they book Steen right. The guy's a tremendous competitor, a great technician. And not for nothing, a feud with with Sami Zayn on NXT... I could, I could definitely live with that. Sami Zayn, Kevin Steen, the feud to end all feuds on NXT. I got no problems with it whatsoever. Uh, one thing I did want to share with you guys, uh, the Wrestling Observer posted some numbers about WWE's top-selling DVDs um, for May 2014. And as a shouldn't come as a shocker to anyone, WrestleMania 30 was number one, selling 125,000 copies. But get this. The number two DVD was Bill Goldberg's DVD, which sold 114,000 units. Um, Definitely uh, great numbers, great volume for that collection. And the thing that I liked most about it was the fact that, you know, Bill Goldberg, regardless of how you feel about him, his career is a career that had so many awesome moments that, you know the the compilation even though it was it was very good you're just barely scratching the surface i mean i remember 
watching WCW Nitro and watching Goldberg Jackhammer the Big Show, which at the time was probably the craziest shit I've ever seen. It was so insane and so over the top. And and to see that, to see that feat of strength back back during that time, it was it was just tremendous. And um you know, I'm glad to see that his DVD was the number two most purchased DVD. Uh, the history of WWE was number three. Um, Ultimate Warriors DVD was number four. And Triple H's DVD was number five. Again, these are the most shipped DVDs for the month of May that WWE put out. Um, the only DVD or Blu-ray, I should say, that I plan on picking up is the Paul Heyman Blu-ray. I think that's probably going to be an amazing, amazing Blu-ray from start to finish. And... Um, it's probably going to be the one that I'm going to buy on day one. Usually I wait for a lot of the stuff to either go on sale or now with the network, you watch it on the network or on Netflix, but the Paul Heyman DVD will be a day one purchase. That's for sure. Uh, Blade also is saying the same thing. The Paul Heyman DVD will be a day one purchase. As I mentioned earlier, when I was talking about Emma Santino did announce his retirement at a house show in Toronto Um, Santino suffered his third neck injury, which pretty much has brought an end to his wrestling career. Uh, Love or hate Santino, you know, he really did do a lot for comedic wrestling during, you know, the last couple of years. And sure, you know, you can say what you want about his gimmick. And I wasn't a fan of his gimmick either. Like I said, I was always a fan of Boris Alexiev's, uh, the, the Boris Alexiev gimmick, but I do feel that, you know, his contributions to comedic wrestling are contributions that you can't, you can't ignore. And like I said, he would probably be, he would make a great agent and he has his battle arts Academy, which a lot of guys speak very highly of, of course, teaching MMA and wrestling. And I think he's made a pretty good, a pretty good living being the, the comedic guy in the WWE. So, you know, if he becomes a manager or an agent at this point, I would not be shocked. But this guy, he did it right. He realized, hey, I got my third neck injury. There's there, there's no coming back for me. And he retired, and that was it. And I really felt that that was just a, a good way to go out. He went out on his own terms. And, um, you know, I wish him the best of luck. Like I said, Santino, in terms of comedic wrestling, probably one of the longest, you know, he went he went through the Santino gimmick, the Milan Miracle then he was Santina, if you guys remember that. And then, of course, you know, the his uh, his relationship with Beth Phoenix, which was very good. There was definitely a lot of really, a lot of really solid work from Santino. His ring work wasn't good because he was, like I said, trapped in the whole comedy gimmick. But for what he contributed, it was it was decent, you know. And yes, thank you for that, Blade. He still misses WrestleMania. That is true. But but again, you know, hearing that Santino retired, it's and especially due to injury again, it's 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 definitely sad. And with Daniel Bryan right now allegedly going under his neck surgery, uh, you know, he's going under his neck surgery for his shoulder. It's it, it's pretty much we're at a stage where we probably won't see Daniel Bryan until next year. And I have no problem with that. The only thing I will say is that in Daniel Bryan's case, he I'd rather he take his time and come back right than come back too quick and end up like Edge, where you guys know that Edge came back and um, 
Edge, I felt, came back too soon and shortened his career because of his his um, his rush to get back. I kind of feel the same way with Daniel Bryan if he comes back before he's ready, that he's going to shorten his career, and I hope that is not the case. But again, we'll see what happens in the coming months. So, two wrestling news that I want to share with you guys to close things out. Number one, the Wrestling Observer put out a, an article saying that Rashad Evans was looking for um, an opportunity in the WWE, and it's it's strange because... You know, the first guy that comes to mind in the WWE is Chael. And I find it odd that the that Rashad Evans is is looking for an opportunity in the WWE. What they're saying is that, you know, Rashad is recovering from major knee surgery and was considering retirement and that he sent out some feelers to the WWE. Now, Rashad Evans is a is a great personality. I think he's a tremendous competitor. He's got a great wrestling background. But I'm curious and I want to pose this to you guys in the chat. If Rashad Evans made the jump to the WWE, would he be successful? Now, the first big red flag for me is Rashad Evans coming into WWE after a major knee surgery. That's the big red flag because as many of you know, the minute that your knee is that your knees go out, either you're going to be relegated to wearing knee braces all the time or your your you know your your career is going to be cut short. Now, if anything, WWE is probably looking at guys like I said, like Chael. Um, you know who'd probably make a great WWE superstar, Alistair Overeem. And the reason I say that is because Alistair Overeem has that look. He looks like the like like the enforcer for a guy or or the enforcer on a stable. Like I'm curious, you know, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna pose that maybe on the fan page if they actually let you guys see it uh which mma superstars would make good wwe wrestlers um i honestly say alistair overeem is probably on my list um chael of course i would probably also throw in there and you know again uh frank mir uh frank mir definitely andre arlovsky um I almost want to say that I like, you know, yeah, the Diaz brothers, definitely. Thank you, Blade. You know, those are all guys that when you look at them, their personas, their larger-than-life personas would make them uh, great candidates to have. And honestly, I think that Rashad would not fare well. Like I said, the knee, the knee surgery being a big factor. But the other factor is that, you know, just because you have a great amateur wrestling background doesn't always mean you're going to have a successful in-ring career. I mean that's that's the easiest thing to expect, but there's there's so many other variables. Like Chael has that natural charisma, he has the wrestling background, but I also feel that his you know his whole TRT situation is going to be viewed um, in a non-favorable light unless you use him as an announcer, which wouldn't be bad. I think uh, uh, Chael in the booth for WWE would be interesting, maybe. Uh, I'd, I'd use him in the booth, maybe Chael, JBL, and Michael Cole, I think would make a, a pretty good announced team. Um, in terms, like I said, of, of, of MMA fighters that can make the transition, like I said, Frank Mir, Overeem, um, those guys, they just, they have it, you know, they have that look, especially Overeem. Overeem has that look. I always felt that Bob Sapp would also be another guy that would transition well from MMA to pro wrestling 
here in the States. I mean, Bob Sapp has done wrestling in, in Japan, but I mean, as an American wrestler, I think Bob Sapp would do very well. But again, these are guys that I'm curious, like I said, to see what you guys say. I'm going to pose it in the in the uh, fan page later on tonight, and I want to see what you guys say. Again, try and share it and see what the deal is, and um, we will take it from there. Now, the last bit of wrestling news is an article that was put up um, by 411 Mania, and they were citing um, an art- uh, a publication called The Atlantic, which was talking about WWE's usage of African-American talent. Now, we've talked about this before, but um, the article did go on to say that no African-American has ever held the WWE title. It does take note that The Rock was in the publication, and for clarity, they said that The Rock is a special case because he is of mixed race and because he is a third-generation superstar. Now, it's interesting because we've we've talked about this at length in, in previous episodes but to see it brought up on a on a national level is is very very interesting because it's it's one of those jokes that we laugh about quite a bit about you know just no no African American performers becoming uh, WWE champion so to see it recognized at such a at you know at the national level is very interesting and I'm again at this at this stage in the game we are I think we have a couple of 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 guys that could definitely become champion like i said biggie is probably the easiest one and um you know he is a no-brainer it's funny because blade says we'll have a british champ before a black champ and you know i magnus kind of did that for tna and that was kind of cool and um you know tna had our truth our truth was their champion uh lashley their champion now so you know the tna is ahead of the curve in that regard i think that they're recognizing uh good talent well, Lashley, in Lashley's case, I think they just wanted to put it on a marquee guy because they couldn't put it on MVP, which was the guy that was rumored to get the belt initially. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's very strange that, that more and more publications are acknowledging this, and I kind of feel that WWE is going to have to do something about it sooner rather than later because, like I said, it's being recognized a lot more often than it should be. All right, so... With that, we are going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. Let's get into some gaming news. There's a lot of stuff going on that I want to discuss. And even though it was a light week, I figured uh, we could bang it out. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm not. You know what's funny? Blade Blade asked in the chat, uh, no love for, the, for Sting Dow and his tweet. The reason I'm not going to talk about Sting's tweet is because Sting's tweet is incredibly vague and... There's three rumors that are floating around right now, and I just don't want to add fuel to the fire because, honestly, I'm in a stage where I want to be surprised. One of the things people are saying is that they're going to announce on Raw that Sting is going to be in WWE 2K15. Would not be shocked. Another is that Sting is going to appear on Raw on Monday. But the third option is that it could just be something completely different, and that's what it's going to be. But... Uh, some people are saying that Sting is in Japan and, you know, it's weird that he's in Japan. They don't know for what. And obviously, you know, the 14th is a is a big deal. Like I said, I'm not I, I didn't want to go into it too much because I almost want to be surprised. It's like if the arena goes dark and all of a sudden you think it's the Wyatts and Sting is in the is in the arena, you know, whatever. I, I could live with that. But. 
it it's at a point where we've been we've been bamboozled and lied to so much that even if Sting comes in, as long as it's not something stupid, it doesn't bother me. You know, like it's not at this point. It's really a non-issue. If he comes in and he's going to be in WWE 2K15, great. If he comes in because he's going to host like the Great American Bash Blu-ray, great. Or if he's going to do some original programming for the network, fine. But at this point, him signing, The Undertaker's probably not coming back, so it doesn't even make a difference at this point. If you would have said, oh, you know, this tweet, that tweet came out right before WrestleMania, then it would be it would be a lot more interesting. But now it's like, eh, whatever. I, I, like I said, I'm I'm in the same camp with Sting that I am with like CM Punk, where it's like if you come back, great. If you don't, whatever. That that's why I didn't really address it. Anyway, let's get into this week's gaming news. We got a couple of things to discuss, and um, I'm sure Slick may want to chime in with some things as well. So let's get that ball rolling, shall we? So the thing that got me with um, the gaming news for this week is that, again, we're hitting that that, that summer, I don't even want to say the, the, the slow period, because there's a lot of crazy stuff happening. We got Evo this weekend, we got San Diego Comic Con around the corner, so there's definitely going to be some great gaming news, but right about now, things are, eh, you know, they're, they're kind of in flux. Uh, I got a, an announcement from Telltale Games that they're going to be releasing their final episode of The Wolf Among Us season one which is going to be cry wolf and that actually was available on july 8th for pc and mac and on july 9th they released it for 360 and ps3 for those of you that are playing the game on ios you'll be able to pick that up on july 10th which was today um the thing with 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 games like this that telltale is putting out you know walking dead the wolf among us they're very short very enjoyable games that don't require um, you know, just just crazy over the top promotion. They're just very good, well received games. And you know, in Telltale Games' case with this, with The Wolf Among Us, I felt that the characters that they were using were were going to be obscure and that people wouldn't get into it. But a lot of people I know have been playing the game and they've really been enjoying it. I mean, I didn't play the Walking Dead game. I know a lot of you guys did. Um, some of our staff definitely checked it out and they enjoyed it. I just. You know, I have such a back catalog of games. That's why you guys haven't seen me streaming. And, um, you know, I want to try and clear out that back catalog before I start doing more current stuff. But definitely, if you are a fan of The Wolf Among Us, definitely pick up the last episode of Season 1, which, again, is available for PC, Mac, Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and as of today, iOS. Now, on the Disney Infinity side of things, I talked a little bit about Disney Infinity during uh e3 and things have got a little quiet after the announcement of you know nintendo's uh figure line which they were going to be releasing but it looks like now disney's infinity marvel superhero set is starting to pick up some steam i've seen some guys from marvel sharing pictures of some of the image of some of the characters that you're going to be seeing um one of the guys i saw of course one of my favorites was venom and it was announced that rocket raccoon and groot which were previously announced are going to be joined by Gamora and Star-Lord. So you'll be able to use Groot, Gamora, Star-Lord, and Rocket Raccoon in Disney Infinity Marvel Super Heroes. Again, this game will be hitting stores later this year on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3, Xbox One, 360, Wii U, 
PC, plus iOS tablets and smartphones. So uh, for those of you that were kind of on the fence about Disney Infinity, the Marvel um, assortment is definitely shaping up to be uh, a very, very collectible item just because, like I said, you're getting so many cool Marvel characters. I think it's going to kind of breathe some life into this particular series because a lot of people that played Disney Infinity didn't like it as much as they liked uh, Skylanders, which Skylanders is very well done and a very enjoyable game. I felt Disney Infinity kind of dragged in certain parts, and now I think with the addition of the Marvel characters, it should change things a bit. Again, we'll see what happens in the coming months. For those of you that are playing Titanfall, there is a brand new DLC coming out, which is Frontier's Edge. You'll be getting three new maps, and um, as of right now, there is no release date for it. But all signs are pointing towards the end of, you know, probably the end of the summer, beginning of the fall. And obviously it'll be available on Xbox One, 360 and PC. If you don't have the season pass, though, it is going to run you $9.99. Again, Titanfall's DLC Frontier's Edge will be available for Xbox One, 360 and PC for a cost of $9.99. Unless, of course, you have the season pass, which will be free at that point. I want to talk about Alien Isolation, which is in the news this week, because Alien Isolation looked very, very promising at E3, but a lot of people were pissed off with the latest announcement where you would be able to play as the cast from the 1979 Alien movie because they were going to release that as pre-order DLC. So, of course, Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley um, will be seen in character for the first time in 17 years, along with Tom Skerritt, Veronica Cartwright, uh, Harry Dean Stanton, Harry Dean Stanton, and Yafet Koto. The DLC will be giving will provide two missions, which will allow you to play scenes from the original film. Now, of course, if you pre-order the game, you'll get an upgrade to the Nostromo edition, which includes those first two DLC missions called Crew Expendable, and uh, the second mission, uh, the first one, of course, Crew Expendable, and then the other mission is Last Survivor. Now, a lot of people were upset about this because they were saying that you're really forcing this on on me as a DLC when, you know, I should really get this with the game when it's available. So Sega actually uh, released a statement and they said, um, you know, however, some of you have been asking if the two pieces of content are only available through to, through pre-orders or if they'll be released at a later date. So Sega did confirm that they do plan to release the crew expendable and last survivor um, DLC at a later date but as of right now you can pick them up via pre-order now this is the kind of stuff i've talked about before where sometimes the pre-orders are so good that you know people it really does motivate you to pre-order this is one of those instances where even though people were upset about it i was not because if dlc is you're always going to get it later on if you choose to now in this particular instance, it's like, all right, you're going to release this. If you're a fan of the original Alien mythology, you'll be able to pick it up. You know, you'll be able to pick it up on 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 day one if you're really interested in getting the game. This is what I was saying. Like, I was a little, you know, the people being up, genuinely upset about it. I understand. But on, on, on the flip side, you really got to look at it like, hey, we want you to pre-order the game. We want you to be interested in the game. So we're giving you something that's worth investing in and that's what i mean like people get all pissed off and it's like yeah you want to get pissed off about dlc offerings that's great but in this instance i'm really not upset because in my eyes i feel like hey you're going to pre-order the game anyway so you might as well get something for your troubles so again people that are upset about it 
you know, you have you have you have rights to be upset, but it's not at the end all be all because how many of us complain about shitty pre-orders? Like I pre-ordered the UFC game because I wanted to play as Bruce Lee. Sure, you can unlock Bruce Lee through the game, but I'm gonna buy the game anyway, so I might as well pre-order it so I can get something I really want. That's what I'm saying. Nobody puts a gun to your head for this stuff. It's not, it, you know, it's not the end of the world. But again, people get all bent out of shape, and things gotta things gotta be apologized for. And in this case, you know, Alien Isolation was already on my radar, and I'm gonna pre-order it anyway because you know I want the game on day one. Eh, to each his own. On the flip side, you know. Skullgirls is a game that for some reason has picked up a lot of press this week. Um, there was a guy that reached out to the creators of Skullgirls due to an issue he had with the game. It turns out that he had pirated the game and he got called out on it by the creative team for Skullgirls. But on the flip side, some good news did come out, and that is that Skullgirls Encore, which is an update to the original Skullgirls title, will be heading to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita. So if you are a fan of the Skullgirls series, you'll be able to play that on the next-gen console, that being PS4. And of course, if you want the portable experience, you'll be able to play it on the PlayStation Vita as well. So I want to close out by congratulating Ubisoft because Watch Dogs heads into the records book, into excuse me, into the record books by selling 8 million units. Uh, this figure reportedly represents copies sold to retailers and not actual sales to the public. But nonetheless, there were 8 million units shipped to retailers and people continue to purchase the game as even even at, at regular price. But I'm also seeing a lot of purchases now being done with the game being put on sale. The game was dropped at one point, I believe, to thirty nine ninety nine. I've seen it floating around at thirty four ninety nine. Hell, for even forty nine ninety nine. I've seen it being picked up at that price as well um slick of course played watchdogs and he had some he had a lot of good things to say about it i have it on my gamefly queue actually because even though it was a game i want to play it was not a game i personally wanted to purchase but i am happy to see that watchdogs is making some some headway and is definitely receiving uh the accolades that it deserves obviously for those that complain that it's not the most next gen of games I, I I feel I feel for you and I understand, but I also understand the fact that it was one of the first games released for next gen. I'm sure that if they do a Watch Dogs 2, it will probably be substantially better. But again, congrats to Ubisoft for heading into the record books as Watch Dogs sold over 8 million units. Like I said, the figure represents um, sales that were uh, copies that were sold to retailers and not copies that were sold to the general public, but still 8 million units is 8 million units, and we definitely cannot sweep that under the rug. All right, like I said, short gaming segment for this week. Let's get into some entertainment news, shall we? My Take Radio's entertainment segment is brought to you by SuperheroStuff.com. Get the best superhero t-shirts, collectibles, and other accessories at SuperheroStuff.com. And if you use promo code 15RADIO, you'll be able to save 15% off your order as a, you know, as a thank you from us here at My Take Radio and, of course, Superhero Stuff. Again, 
use the promo code one five radio and it'll save you 15% on your order. All right, so let's get right into it and talk about, of course, Transformers Age of Extinction holding on to the number one slot, making a shit ton of money, $36.4 million, bringing its grand total to $174.8 million. For some reason, I don't know why, Tammy definitely took number two, uh, Deliver Us From Evil, which I actually saw, and we'll have a review for took number three 22 jump street was number four i actually took my wife to see that for her birthday definitely wasn't as as bad as i had thought uh how to train your dragon took number five earth to echo was six maleficent was number seven jersey boys was eight think like a man two was number nine and edge of tomorrow was 10 so you know it's um it's it's craziness because the the thing is (laughs) <laughs> they're slick slick always uh slick says rich always shits on the comedies here's here's the thing about 22 jump street and i gotta i gotta i gotta stop myself for this um 21 jump street i watched it it was amusing i found it to be um it wasn't bad i didn't hate it i just found it to be amusing 22 jump street definitely took advantage of the fact that it recognized that it was a blatant cash grab and they had a lot of fun with it. I really liked the fact that the film was self-aware and it added to the comedy that was on display. Now, is it the funniest movie ever? No, I did laugh quite a bit. I felt there were some great comedic moments. Was it my, my stance with comedies is always like this. If they get better with repeated viewing, it's great. But if all the funny moments are in the trailer and you spent money to watch this movie, you know for a fact that the that the comedy will lose its luster as time passes. Some movies, like I said, like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, uh, Clerks, you know, a lot. Of, I like a lot of the Kevin Smith comedy because it it's always amusing when you watch it. You know, I think for me, movies like that definitely they um they have a place. Jay says, I'd love to hear what the boss's top five comedies are. Wow. Um, that's weird because if it, the, my top five comedies, like I got to throw Porky's in there. I think Porky's probably was one of the first R rated comedies I saw when I was a kid. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds, Problem Child, definitely Problem Child. Got to toss that in there. Um, Clerks. I, I liked Clerks. Like I said, I like Clerks. I like Jay and Silent Bob. Um, that's more than five, huh? So uh, it's weird. I can't really give a top five. No, well, you know what it is? Caddy. Sh- I'll tell you what. Jay says no Caddyshack or Animal House. The problem with Caddyshack and Animal House was that I watched them when I was really young and I didn't appreciate the humor as much as now that I'm older, like, you know, I can say Fletch, uh, Fletch was, was one of my favorites growing up. I watched Fletch every time they gave it the monster squad. Um, not really a comedy. Um, same thing with the Goonies, not necessarily a comedy, um, trading, trading places. Who's Harry Crumb. One of my favorites. I loved, I love who's Harry Crumb with, uh, the late John Candy. Got to definitely throw that in there. Uh, Blazing Saddles, I watch Blazing Saddles now that I'm older, and I love it. When I watched it when I was a kid, eh, again, the humor was lost because it just wasn't the type of humor I was into. I liked, uh, you know, I love the Beverly Hills Cop movies. Um, I'm just weird with that stuff because I grew up, I grew up enjoying, you know, all the 80s and 90s action flicks, 
I, you know, a lot of horror movies, a lot of kung fu flicks. I didn't even start getting into anime until I was probably a freshman in high school. That's when I started watching, you know, like Golgo 13, Crying 90 Freeman. 90 seconds. We got it, 90 seconds. You know, Golgo 13, Crying Freeman. Um, then I went through, like, the hentai phase because fuck it, whatever I did. I, hell, I own most of that shit. You know, Uro Tsukudoji, La Blue Girl, uh, Demon Demon Beast Invasion, Nightmare Campus. All, you know, all, all that real trashy hentai shit. Yeah, I, fuck it. You know, I watched it because that's when when you when you're a teenager and they tell you, hey, you can watch seconds. There you go. 60 seconds. For those of you listening to the Block Talk radio feed, you can continue listening live on mtrlive.com. And um, of course, you can always watch the video feed on mtrlive.com as well. Just scroll down and watch the Ustream video feed. Otherwise, you will get the episode via archive on iTunes or Stitcher within the next day or so. But, um, it's, you know, it's weird. It's, you know, Jay and, and Slick feel that I need to see more comedies. I've, I've watched a fair share of comedies, but as much as I love jokes and comedy, I'm always drawn to just watching more horror movies, more action flicks. Um, and, my, and like I said, my, my, my comedy, my enjoyment of comedy is like a lot of the older shit. Like most of this new shit, I ten really, seconds. all right, 10 seconds. We got it. Most of the new shit that's out, I don't find it as enjoyable i don't know maybe it's just because they're trying too hard like super bad everybody says oh you know super bad is amazing and it was so great and i watched super bad and i've watched super bad every time it's been on and it just it was funny but it wasn't it didn't really it didn't capture me like oh my god i gotta watch this every time it's on you know like jay and silent bob strike back always watch that shit when it's on um Anchorman actually I enjoyed, but it only got better with repeated viewing. When I watched Anchorman the first time, I thought it was bullshit. See, Superbad said, uh, Slick says Superbad is one of the funniest new movies. I don't know, man. Like, uh, you know, but see, Slick also doesn't like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. See, that is, comedy is very subjective. So what some people may find funny, other people may not. You know, it's just that's just how it is. Like uh, Dogma. Uh, you know, dogma, I really like dogma. Uh, my brother being incredibly Catholic, you know, did, does not like dogma. But I found the subject matter to be incredibly amusing. Plus, I really like George Carlin. George Carlin was amazing in that. And that's one of those things um, that, you know, people talk about with comedy. And again, it's subjective. Uh, one one that everybody that kind of goes under the radar was... Um, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, I believe it was See No Evil, Hear No Evil, which um, I love that movie. Every time I used to watch that movie on Channel 11 when they do the WPIX afternoon movie, I used to watch it all the time because Carlin and I mean, Carlin, excuse me, uh, Pryor and Wilder just had such great chemistry, such amazing chemistry that I really loved watching a lot of their movies. There was one Richard Pryor movie that I really enjoyed. Um, maybe you guys can help me out. It was where he pretended to be a doctor in an emergency room and he was treating a lot of patients and I can never remember the name of it, but it was, I laughed so much because it was, that's what really started making me a a fan and made me actually seek out a lot of Richard Pryor movies, you know, ah, critical condition. Thank you, Jay. I love that movie. I don't know why, like people say it wasn't one of Pryor's best flicks, but it's a movie I really, really enjoyed. Harlem Nights, I, I love. I could watch Harlem Nights on repeat 
a thousand times. Harlem Nights, uh, Beverly Hills Cop, 48 Hours, uh, like I said, Trading Places, Who's Harry Crumb, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Uncle Buck. Uh, just like I said, a lot of the old shit, like the old shit I can always watch. The new shit, eh. Again, subjective. I'm I'm very subjective with it. And like I said, I get into arguments about this all the time. So it's funny that we're talking about it so much because people go, really, you like that? And I'm like, yeah, I kind of did. Like Adam Sandler. I liked uh, Happy Gilmore. I liked um, I liked the water boy. But I, you know, what I mean, like, like, like some of Sandler's later shit hated it, hated it with hated, though, hated them with a passion. It's like his early shit that was good. Uh, Grandma's Boy. Grandma's Boy is one of my, my favorite all-time movies. I could watch that shit on loop, uh, partly because there's a lot of gaming humor, but also because it was just so out of this world, stupid, that it just never gets old. Uh, guilty Pleasure, Beer Fest. Beer Fest is a guilty pleasure. Not one of the, not one of the better movies, but um, Guilty Pleasure. Same thing with Club Dread. Uh, guilty Pleasure's there. Basketball. Not a great movie in the least, but um, Guilty Pleasure. Uh, Ski School. I like Ski School with Mark Harmon. Um, One of my favorites, One Crazy Summer. If you guys remember that, it was uh, where Bobcat Goldthwait got stuck in the Godzilla costume. It had a um, a young Demi Moore. Love that. I love One Crazy Summer. It was... I watched that movie. They used to give that movie on Channel 11, also on the Sunday afternoon movie, and they used to give it a lot on Channel 9. I loved every part of it. Also made me a big fan of John Cusack. Um, I like one of his other movies, Gross Point Blank. I think one of the reasons I ended up liking Gross Point Blank so much was because I worked in a movie theater at the time, and they gave Gross Point Blank for like six months straight. It started in the big theater, and then it finally went all the way to the little shitbox theater one which was like, you know, 150 seats. And I watched it so much that I really came to enjoy it. But again, see, comedy, very, very subjective. We could probably do an entire show about Rich's favorite movies, and <laughs> it, it would it would give you guys material for days. But um, let's go back to this and wrap up the, um, oh, man, Jay, Kingpin, I don't know. Kingpin, I, I have a love-hate relationship with Kingpin, but I do like... Um, what the hell is it called? See, I like you guys will probably give me shit for this, but I liked Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. It is an awful fucking movie, but it's so bad that it's good. You know what I mean? Like, it, like that's just a guilty pleasure flick. I don't, I don't tell anybody to go out there and buy it because it's so awful. But I, <laughs> but I did <laughs> exactly. Slick, Slick said it. It is a fantastic, awful movie. Same thing with um, uh, what the hell, Critters. You know, like, there's a lot of fantastic, awful movies like that, but um, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes definitely was one of them. Um, There was a movie with uh, an actress that I I fell in love with when I was a kid. Her name was Amy Dolan. She played a genie that granted this guy wishes, and um, I think it was called Miracle Beach. It was was probably one of the comedies I watched so much because when I was a kid, I, I really did have a thing. For Amy Dolan's, I would seek out every shitty comedy movie that she was in, and I'd watch it. Uh, Date with an Angel is another one, terrible, but um, I enjoyed that. I actually have a soft spot for Meteor Man. 
I, I have a soft spot for Meteor Man because it's just that was when they were trying to put out like really lame black superhero movies. You know, they did that. They did Blank Man. Blank Man was fucking god awful. Oh shit. But but again, it was so bad that it's good. But again, I digress. Anyway, as I was saying, Transformers Age of Extinction was number one. And I bring it up not only because of the number one record that it has, but because now Mark Wahlberg is rumored to be attached to, get this, a film remake, a a remake, excuse me, um, of The Six Million Dollar Man. Now, if you were a kid growing up, you probably saw reruns of The Six Million Dollar Man if you were an 80s baby. Um, If you were a 70s baby, you'd probably you'd probably watch it normally but um the six million dollar man it looks like they want to try and bring that to the big screen with mark Wahlberg in the lead role and they are looking probably towards peter burke direct uh peter burke directing it uh peter burke directed hancock and battleship but again i think um i don't know i think that might actually work and it's so far gone in terms of you know it's a, it's a character that nobody knows about um you know, like, especially like a new generation of kids, I think it would probably work. But you know what? I see uh, Slick is in the queue. Let me bring him in, and he could probably help me wrap up the remaining entertainment news for the week. Slick, what's up, buddy? What's up, man? I don't know, dude. Five-year anniversary, big times. Yeah, big times, man. Big thing. There you go. So, glad, uh, glad, glad I was part of it. Yeah, well, you've been you've been a, a soldier from the beginning, dude. You were in there with the trenches in the early blog talk radio days. And I'll be there for ten years. There you go. So, Avi, I, I'm surprised sh- one one comedy you did not mention, which uh, I just want your quick opinion on. It's because my favorite one of my favorite comedies involved like movies that break the fourth wall. Okay, of course, you know. Without even mentioning you guys, basically any Mel Brooks movie, but um, of the newer movies, the movie Half Baked. Uh, you know what's weird? Half Baked. I liked Half Baked, but you know what the problem was? I I watched Half Baked when my horizons weren't expanded like towards stoner humor, which is weird. You know, like like you know that that you go through different through different stages of comedy. You got you know, your raunchy comedies, you got your co-ed comedies, you got your geeky comedies, you know what I mean? Like, the, your genres. Like, the stoner humor, like, now that I'm older, like, that's why, like, films like Grandma's Boy, um, Half-Baked, they're funnier to me now because I get, like, a lot of a, a lot of the stoner humor more now that I'm older. Plus, you know, I knew a lot of, you know, you get to meet a lot of stoners, so you understand the comedy better. It's weird. I mean, I've never, you know any kind of weed. I'm not knocking anybody who does, but even from when I was little, I mean, the Cheech and Chong movies have always been hysterical to me. See, but but that was the thing. I didn't get to watch Cheech and Chong, not because like my, 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 my mom forbid me from watching it because she let me watch whatever the fuck I want, but I never like stopped. Like, you know, their movies would be on TV and I'd just, I'd watch them for a few minutes and they just didn't grab my attention. You get what I'm saying? Like the humor wasn't at a place where you stop, you watch it, you laugh, and you keep watching it, you know? Like That, it, that might be part of the issue, because... It's you, not like Naked you Gun. mention on TV, and a lot of these movies mentioned suck on TV, because all the jokes get stupid. Well, yeah, I mean, when I, like, when I, you know, the way it worked back then for me, it was either watch the shit on TV on channels 9, 11, and 5, or go to the video store and rent the VHS. 
<laughs> and it was fine. But when I was going to the store to rent the VHS, I was renting, you know, Rawhead Rex, The Critters, uh, Q, um, Cujo. You know what I mean? Like all like like horror movies, because at that stage in the game, it was more, I guess, more anti-authority to watch like the gruesome fucking horror movies with chicks running around naked, getting their heads chopped off versus, you know, weed comedy. You get what I'm saying? Like, that's how it was. Like, Jay, Jay's going down a laundry list of stuff like Airplane, Bachelor Party. I like Bachelor Party. Tom Hanks was awesome in that. But um, I also have a soft spot for Big. I like Big. Big was was one of those movies I really enjoyed. But again, it, it comedy's so subjective that, like I said, we could sit here and bounce back and forth. Like, I could say, you know, I liked Uncle Buck. And you might be like, ah, that, was a, that wasn't one of John Candy's best. No, Uncle Buck was fantastic. Exactly, but you John get... John Candy is, is uh, to me, a comedy legend. You know? You know, I miss that dude. Well, that, but that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, like... Like a couple of months back, and I never talked about it on air. We had a um, a discussion about whether Home Alone is a family film or a family, you know, a family oriented film or a comedy because of the way the Wet Bandits talked to to Macaulay Culkin's character. There was a lot of really like not visceral comedy, but definitely more. You know what I mean? Like it was more mean spirited. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, and a we, lot of stuff that's considered family friendly or suitable for children. If you really listen to yep, it, it's not. Like, how is this shit suitable for children? Like Problem Child, I love Problem Child, one of my favorite movies. But if you watch Problem Child, you say to yourself, "Holy shit!" There's a lot of really suspect stuff back then. Yeah, same thing with Spaceballs. Jay just mentioned an all-time classic. Blues Brothers was one of the funniest movies ever. Probably, to, to me, the greatest chase scene ever in a movie. Yep. You know what's funny? I and liked... It um, brings up the huge comedies, which you got to mention things like 16 Candles and, of course, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I think I think I still own that on DVD. But you know what's funny? Like, Blues Brothers, I, I, I another film that was funny, had an awesome chase scene, but wasn't... Like, you know what's weird? I like Dragnet more than I like Blues Brothers. Is that weird? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, Dragnet, I, I like Dragnet, but to, I don't know. I mean, to each his own, but... Right, but that's, that's what I'm that's saying. Rough. Exactly. That's rough. Exactly. to me. Well, yeah, because you know what it is? Like, that's a movie that has a significance for you. Like, in my house, I remember we turned on Blues Brothers, and my mother, she put it on. I'm watching it. I think I think one of I think either her or my brother rented it and I'm sitting there watching I'm like I think I laughed a little bit and then she just stopped. She's like, "Ah." She's like, "I no me gusta. I don't like it." You know, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And that was it. And then I saw Blues Brothers later. I think they gave them back to back. They gave that and then the really shitty sequel. And I laughed. Yeah, yeah exactly. I watched them back to back and I laughed, you know, I you know, as 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 you would expect, but I guess it was just the fact that it didn't it I watched it at such a later time. Like there are certain movies that just stick with you for, for different reasons. Like I said, like revenge of the nerds or uh, Porky's like, dude, I watched every Porky's movie late at night when I shouldn't have been watching it when I was a kid. Oh, it was, it was terrible. You know, like, Oh my God, you know, like you watch it. You're like, Oh shit, this chick is naked. <laughs> Porky's one and two were fantastic. 
Porky's three was uh, yeah, dude. But Porky's, you know, the funny thing with Porky's, like the the teacher, the gym teacher getting the snake up the drain, Miss Ball Bricker, and her freaking out about it. Like that was the kind of shit you wanted to do when you were a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Necessary roughness is another I mean, one I liked, even though I hate Sinbad. I hate fucking well, he Sinbad. Wasn't, really being Sinbad in that movie. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Like, I tolerated him in that movie, but it's just... Like, yo, shut up. <laughs> I hated Sinbad so much. Anyway. It's like a lot of people, you know, that are Sex and the City fans don't realize that even though he basically had, had the same type of character, Kim, Kim Cattrall got her start by having a freaking sweaty gym sock stuff in her mouth while she's getting banged in a, in a locker room. True, but you know where Kim Cattrall also mannequin. True, but again, she got she got that rule from from a working port. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Like mannequin, you know that that was a staple in my house. Date with an angel, short circuit. See, your mom was basically like, um, my mom didn't didn't want me watching like stuff with like like a lot of nudity and everything. But as far as comedies. Rough language wasn't really an issue. Oh, nudity was, was all good, dude. Basically trying to keep me from the nudity and stuff. <laughs> nudity was all good. All that shit. That's why, like, you know, all that shit was all good for me, dude. But that's what I mean. Like, it's just weird. Like, like I said, it, it, comedies are so subjective. And, you know, I can pull out a laundry list, like I said, as I'm talking about it and reminiscing. I can pull out so many of them. That, you know, it's like, oh, wow, I, I remember this, I like this, I remember watching this, and that's what I mean. Like, it's very weird. Like, it's not like with action movies, because action movies, they either, you really liked them, and they were great, or they weren't. Like, I could say, oh, I like Cobra, and you could be like, oh, yeah, Cobra was pretty good. It wasn't great, but it was good for X, Y, and Z. With comedy, it's like, dude, you didn't like this part? That shit was fucking hilarious, and some people be like, eh, it was all right, you know what I mean? Yeah, but a lot of those 80s those 80s action movies it's like you like them but at the same time you're like that was cheesy as shit oh dude they age terribly like I watched Independence Day because you know of course they gave it on July 4th on loop and I did, and, I, and I came to the conclusion that yo that movie aged fucking terribly like I watched you know, that a few movies that even though it's, it's cheesy as shit it it ages very well, and I mean, there even was a, a recent movie that gave paid full homage to it. It's Flash Gordon. Oh, I dude! Mean, never, the never only gets old. Why that movie was good, to be honest, is because of Queen. Yep. Without that soundtrack, that movie would have went nowhere. Oh, Nobody absolutely. Nobody would give a shit about that movie without Queen. But that movie was so cheesy, but it's fantastic today. Oh, yeah. It's still fantastic. But again, that's because of Queen. Exactly. So. What do you think of this um, $6 million man big screen reboot? Again, old TV show getting brought to the big screen. Uh, you know, the the recipe for success, not very good. I mean, we saw the travesty that was the Green Hornet. But you're, you're using subject matter that if done right now with, uh, you know, with the special effects now, I think it would work pretty well. And honestly, Mark Wahlberg would probably be one of the better guys suited for that. The only other guy probably that I would use for that, and it's only because you can add an element of comedy, would probably be The Rock. True. The Rock, Rock or Wahlberg? would be excellent for that role, but I, I mean, um, Lee Majors, the original $6 million man, Yep. like he was, he, well, Mark Wahlberg fits the role more to me because Lee Majors was 
like a dude that looks kind of tough, but at the same time is not like the rock tough. Right, I understand. I mean, you look at a dude like the rock, especially nowadays versus like when he was the, the attitude era, but you look at the rock right now, as much as he's a cool dude, he, you know, he's always good for a laugh and everything. Right. You look at that dude, you're like, I wouldn't want to piss him off because he might fucking hit me in the face and my face might like crumble. That's true. I mean, but you know, it's like Mark Wahlberg at the same time. He's the type of dude that he looks like he might be tough, but at the same time, you're like, I might be able to take that dude. Ah, I see. I understand and what you're saying. That's the kind of that's the kind of look that Lee Majors had. It's like Lee Majors. The reason why you wouldn't want to fuck with him in the Six Million Dollar Man is this dude is bionic and he hits you, your face will fucking crumble. Right. Literally. No, I understand what you're saying. I mean. And, you know the, the the casting the casting and just bringing it to the big screen they've been trying to bring that movie to the big screen for years originally like kevin smith had wrote a draft for it in the 90s then um jim carrey was going to do it with todd phillips then they were thinking of going with um you know like weinstein was going to try and put it out like they've done so many different things with it so you know we're probably talking about it now and we'll see if they even pull the trigger on it because again you know it's a it's it's a very unique film that it's a very unique show that can be done either comedic or serious and and be effective. Yeah, that's why I, I would like Mark Wahlberg for a role like that because he's one of not a lot of actors these days that has a lot of range. Like right. he can do serious, he can do comedy, and he can do the he can do either end of the spectrum effectively. Right. Plus, he has more of an everyman look that you would want for the $6 million man. But it's like he's not too buff, but at the same time, he could pull off a role like that. Right, I understand what you're saying. It's true. So, I, I know that you don't watch, um, you're not watching the, the Green Arrow show, but um, it looks like they're expanding the universe a bit. And uh, Brandon Routh, who many of you know from the uh, wonderful Superman Returns film, has been cast as Ray Palmer, who, for those of you that are well-versed in, in comics will know that Ray Palmer becomes the Atom. So he will be having a recurring role in Season 3 of Arrow. Um, definitely very cool to see a lot of the more obscure characters. I think Arrow and and even The Flash are going to do a really good job of that. I mean, Arrow made Deathstroke really cool in a live-action capacity. Same thing with The League of Shadows. Um, same thing with, with a lot of those third, you know, secondary and third-tier villains. They made Deadshot pretty fucking cool, too. So... Uh, you know, I, I think I think Brandon Routh is a is a decent actor, and I think he probably will find more success doing TV than movies. But again, you know, at, the Green Arrow show is very weird because they're doing it in such a weird way, and they're trying to acknowledge a lot of mythology that they can't even play in because of Batman. You know, right? Brandon Routh, I feel got a raw deal because he, he's not a bad actor at all. He just you know. He played Superman at the wrong time. Right. He was a victim of circumstance. I've always felt Superman Returns got really fucking crazy when, you know, Kevin Spacey spent the majority of the movie trying to imitate Gene Hackman. That's how I felt. It was Kevin Spacey imitating Gene Hackman and the super kid. I'm like, really? And then you had like three entire action sequences in the entire film. And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> Let's yeah, let's have Superman lift a kryptonite planetoid. Yep. Like really? Yep. Just because just because, you know, he he has willpower. It's like no, no, no. 
No. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. But um, it's crazy because, like I said, they're, you know, Brandon Routh is playing the Adam. Devin Aoki is playing Katana, who, again, if, if you're well-versed in DC Comics, you'll know that Katana becomes a member of the Outsiders, led by Batman. Right. So... Like there's a, it, it's funny that that Arrow continues to kind of scratch at the door of mainstream DC mythology, and a lot of people are saying that DC they hear the scratching on the door, you know, and they may open that door. And I honestly think they should because honestly, Green Arrow is probably the best representation of the DC universe currently with with a minimal budget. You know what I mean? Like it's all fight choreography. And decent writing. Don't get me wrong. The first season of Arrow definitely tests your patience. But the second season really put it in, in high gear. Well, they're trying to establish, especially from, like you said, the more obscure, and they're trying to establish Justice League characters and, and build a desire to want to see that, that type of movie, which is a it's a good way to do it. It's a, a safer way to do it than... Then jump in full, you know, you're going to full dive in with a, a Justice League movie, which, you know, may or may not work. It, it worked for Marvel with the Avengers, but, you know, a lot of people are familiar with characters like Black Widow and Hawkeye. Right. Like, but yeah, Mar- you, you, you threw them into, into Iron Man and right. Thor movies, but you really didn't give too much background on them. And it Mar- just so happened that nobody cared to, you know, Scarlett Johansson. Right, but you know what Marvel did also, which was what made it effective? Marvel did a lot of building. And what they did was they were building the movies, and they didn't start letting you know they all tied in together until later on. Because you got to remember, you know, the first Iron Man film came out, it ended, everybody's like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. And then at the end of The Incredible Hulk, Robert Downey Jr. shows up, and you're like, wait a minute, Tony Stark shows up? And then, you, you know what I mean? Then it became a point where you had to watch every movie to see how it all tied together. The problem with DC at this point, and I said this before, is you close the loop with the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Superman created a brand new mythology, and that's great. But what they're saying is, you're taking Superman, you did the first movie, now the second movie is going to have him and Batman, and it's not even considered a Superman sequel. Because according to a listing I saw... It's Batman versus Superman, and then they have a separate listing for Superman 2, which is weird. You see what I mean? So what they're doing is they're, they create they reestablish this mythology with one film, one, and then they're using the secondary film as like the group film. And I just feel that's poor execution because you got to lump now, you know, between Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, probably Aquaman, um you know, Lex Luthor and other characters that are rumored to be popping up cyborg. Again, it's just so much so fast. And while, yeah, you might be able to use cyborg in a non hero capacity just to introduce him. It's a lot of, it's a lot of bricks that you got to use to build that foundation. And you only have, you know, two hours to do it, you know, two and a half hours tops to, to establish an entire mythology in two and a half hours with all those characters. The reason why DC is struggling in terms of live-action films and Marvel is laughing all the way to the bank is that Marvel's doing on the big screen exactly what they do in comic book shops. Right. And that's basically 
force you to watch a bunch of movies that you probably otherwise don't give a shit about. Yep, like Thor. Like, who who would have thought that Thor would be as awesome as it was? Like, dude, I before the movies came out, I thought Thor fucking sucked. I hated Thor. He was the fucking worst. The only time I thought Thor was awesome was when he was fucking Beta Ray Bill, Horseface Thor. And see, that's, that's something else that, that might eventually pop up, especially now that you have Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. A lot of cool shit, dude. A lot of cool shit. And that's what I'm saying. Like, in this instance with DC, it's like, dude, they are cramming it in. I, I read a rumor, which I am which I might as well address since we're talking about it, that you were going to probably see Doomsday in this movie. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? Like, unless for some reason. I, I see no reason for Doomsday. No. That early on, I. You know what the problem especially is? Especially since Doomsday is, is not, at least initially, the character doesn't have much in terms of personality. Right. You know, well, and when he first appeared, he was kind of brainless. Well, here's here's the thing. What made uh, Man of Steel good was that Superman genuinely had a fight. You know what I mean? He had he had a, 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 a an antagonist that forced Superman to do what he had to do you know what i mean like it was it brought the character out of the shell the problem with a character like doomsday is that you're trying to lump all these characters in and yeah everybody knows batman's backstory it's like fuck it i'm fucking back it's like who are you i'm batman that's it you know what i mean like uh, like all those memes that they make it's like how do you how do you stop a world war punches and kicks why because i'm fucking batman you know what I mean? Like like Wonder Woman, Cyborg, all those other characters, you got to flesh them out a little bit. You got to add something. Unfortunately, the um, DC animated universe is doing a better job. As fantastic as it is, it doesn't, for some reason, it doesn't connect with a lot of the mainstream, mainstream movie-going um, people, which is a shame because that that by itself could be used to establish the the um the Justice League movie. Well, I I'll, I'll say this. When you look at when you look at Arrow and again it's it's a it's a little tougher with cuz you have it you've never watched it. It's like how is Agents of Shield that has an entire Marvel universe at its disposal was as shitty as it was up until, you know, the whole Winter Soldier scenario and then it got it got just a kick in the ass. Like Arrow really made some of those third and secondary villains like you know like the clock king or count vertigo you know guys you're like oh this guy fucking sucks like you watch them and you're like oh okay that guy's a pretty badass you know bronze tiger played by our friend michael jai white you know what i mean like there like there were a lot of characters you know harley possibly popping up with the suicide squad yeah sure there, there's a lot of things that you can say you, you know how is harley going to show up in there but again a lot of fan service you know yeah. And 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 for to bridge that gap and kind of bring that into the movies is it, it would definitely be awesome. But the problem is they've already shot themselves in the foot because you got Arrow on the CW, then you got Gotham on Fox, which again may or may not tie into the existing Batman mythology. But you're you're splintering the timelines. You know what I mean? Like but all it's like they're, they're, they're doing that. They're, they're trying to you know get it out there, which. And I can't be mad at them. They do you know what they have to do to try to build the interest in an eventual Justice League movie. And it's just, for some reason, it's just tougher for DC to do that than it was for Marvel to 
bring the, the super team to the, the big screen. No, it's true. Well, I got I got a question for you, and um, the, I'm only I'm only setting this up just to move through the rest of the segment. Where do you stand with modern adaptations of stories from the Bible? Non-religious views aside, just bringing those stories to the big screen. The reason I ask is because we saw that they did Noah, and love it or hate it, they did it. So they put out a trailer for a new film, which is um, Gods and Kings, Exodus, Gods and Kings, which follows the story of Moses and the Pharaoh. And a couple of issues. Number one, I felt I feel that the movie's incredibly whitewashed because Moses is being played by Christian Bale, and, and Ramses the Pharaoh is being played by Joe Egerton, who a lot of people may recognize from Warrior. Again, when I talk to you and I say, Slick, a guy is playing the Pharaoh, what color should he be? Everybody in that movie should be at least brown. There you go. Now, if you watch the trailer, which I got to put on the site, but if you get a chance, watch the trailer, because it's gonna, you're going to look at it and you're going to be like, really? Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because it looks like they now want to bring David and Goliath to the big screen. So we've got Moses, uh, Noah, and now David and Goliath. Where do, where do you stand with this? Because me personally, I, I've come to the realization that utilizing the Bible to bring these stories to the big screen, if you do too much and you loosely base it on the story, you're going to piss people off. If you do it too by the book, you're going to piss people. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's so many different things. There's so many pitfalls on both sides that I just, I personally wouldn't even touch it. But I, you know, I'm curious to see where you stand because, like, I saw the trailer for Exodus: Gods and Kings, and I said, "Yeah, this would be something I end up watching on cable if I'm bored." I would normally not have a problem with it because I mean, it's been done, and even with all the whitewashing, there have been fantastic movies based on the Bible. Right. But I, when I saw the trailer for Noah, I was like, "What the fuck am I seeing?" Right. How am I seeing Noah's Ark meet 300? There you go. Like, why did you try to, to turn Noah's Ark into 300? It's not an action story. Right. I mean, I could see them throwing, the you know, some of the 300 treatment into an Exodus story. Right. Because, I mean... It's there. From, you know, start to finish, there's, there's a lot of, like, gritty shit in here. There's, like, slaves getting beaten and tortured and killed. Right. And then, you know, the whole scene with the, the Red Sea and everything, that's, you know, that's something that can be turned into a high-action scene. Right. But it's like, not Noah's Ark, no. But, it, it depends on the story you're dealing with. The next right. thing you're going to see, which obviously will piss people off, so you're going to see, like, a hardcore Jesus movie. It's like, Jesus is going to be beating people's ass. I'm like... Well, you know what it, you know what it was when Mel Gibson did The Passion of the Christ? I remember... And, and and again, not trying to to dip my dip in my toes into the religious pool. In my house, one of the things I watched, and it was customary to watch every Easter Sunday, was the Ten Commandments. Now, obviously, I watched the Ten Commandments because you know whatever it was a, an Easter tradition. But I always felt that that movie probably had the greatest collection of actors I've ever seen between Yul Brenner, uh, Edward G. Robinson. You know, there were there were so many great actors. That I watched that movie, not because of the story, but just because the acting was just amazing. So in that respect, you know, you, you strip that away and it's a, it's a good story. When Mel Gibson did Passion of the Christ, I, I watched it and I said to myself, this is the realest 
Jesus flick I've ever seen. Because I remember they did a, a movie about Jesus with Max von Sydow when I was younger. And, you know, you, you watch all those movies and it's like, yeah, you kind of know. Like, like as, as, as shitty as it sounds for me to say, it's like, yeah, I know how the story ends. But, like, when you watched, like, Passion of the Christ, you were like, holy cow. Like, you know, they really took it there. Like, super brutal, super gritty. And it's weird because you look at these, you look at this stuff and, you know, you say to yourself, you're really going to turn the Bible into an action movie. And it's like, yeah, I am. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's like some stories you can go there. Like, right. You know, I, again, I'm not trying to offend anybody. Cause I, I, you know, I happen to be Catholic. I ain't the most religious person in the world. I'm not standing on a soapbox. If you've never been in church on Good Friday or any time during, you know, Holy Week, you, you, you know, heard the passion of the Christ. Right. That is a brutal, fucked up story. If you right. think about it and you visualize it, this is dude that was publicly humiliated, yep. spit on, yep. fucked up by basically a, a gang of thugs, the soldiers, right. then made to carry a giant fucking piece of wood that right. probably weighed at least twice his weight. Yep. And this is not a diesel dude. Yep. Beaten. At the same time, he's still getting beaten, spit on, right. rocks thrown at him, got a fucking crown of thorns sticking in his head. This is a movie where a dude's getting severely fucked up. Exactly. And it's it's crazy because... Yeah, that that's basically translates to like a snuff... It, it literally translates to a snuff flick. Right, but when you watch... A when torturous you, snuff flick. When you watch that movie, when Mel Gibson brought that to the big screen, people were just like super offended but it's like like you just said it you're like yo that's how it was like there's a scene people don't know this if you buy that's how it was if you people don't know this but if you buy gladiator there's uh deleted scenes and they have a scene where you know the the, they fed the uh they fed the catholics to the lions which they took out but they have that deleted scene it's like the people are in the cage and the lion just comes in and fucking grabs a dude and yanks him out and you're just like oh well all right and that's what I'm saying. Like, it's weird with these films because you hear that they want to bring them to the big screen. And on one side, you're like, yeah, you know, this is it's stupid. But then on the other side, it's like, all right, you know, it's kind of cool. You want to tell the story. Me personally, I was, you know, I was raised Catholic. I saw a lot of stuff. And, you know, I don't I don't practice now for my own issues. But I remember my mother used to drag me. They used to do this in the Bronx. And this is this is how fucked up again my my views on religion do not reflect the views of anybody that works with us or anybody else. But they used to recreate. They it used to be in the Bronx and on this on this uh, there's this very big park that has a hill on it, and um, they used to recreate the Passion of the Christ verbatim. And it would end yeah, with some guy. Yeah, but it would end with like the guy legitimately like crucified. Well, not with the nails and nothing, but crucified at the top of the hill. Which is, you know, ultra depressing. It's like you're walking, you're walking home from like a bodega, and you look up, you're like, "Oh, what's up, Jesus? Hanging out?" Like you're like, "What the hell's going on?" You know what I mean? Like it's so, like it, like stuff like that is just, it's traumatizing. But when you see that on film, that's how it was. That's how it's meant to be. Craziness, right? Yeah. In some ways, I don't think people should get offended because they yes, shouldn't. I mean, if you are religious. It's a very touchy subject. Right. Just think about, again, if you've ever been to church during Holy Week, if you're any kind of Christian or anything, and you've heard these stories, or even if you just heard the stories and you're not religious, it's like the church itself 
they they tell the story in a way where it's like they, they basically make you want to hate Italian people almost because it's the Romans. These are Italian people. Yeah, well. And they brutalize this dude. Yeah. They well, brutalize this dude that is, you know, again, based upon your belief, what you believe in. They brutalize this dude that is your, your, your Messiah, your God. Right. It, it's... It's one of those things and where eventually just left them to die. Oh, it's it's a it's a crazy story, and you know what's crazy? The thing and the reason I bring this up is because I've noticed this trend, and we've talked about this before. You know where it's just been like an influx of these movies. You know the Ben Hur remake, the Ten Commandments remake. Now they want to do David and Goliath. Then you know they're doing this uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings. Like it, it feels like we're going through that period of hey, we're just gonna crank out these religious flicks. And we're going to try and make them look as much like 300 as possible so that people can go and watch them. It's crazy. But I figured I'd ask you just because, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very strange subject to kind of get into. But it's a subject that a lot of people aren't talking about because they're just looking at it like, oh, it's, it's Christian Bell playing Moses. And it's like, yeah, it is. But this is the most, like the dude that's playing the Pharaoh, like I said, it, it looks like they threw the guy under a uh, under a tanning bed for a month to make him that dark. I'll go see it if Christian Bale comes up on the, the hill with the, the tablet and starts reading the Ten Commandments to the to the Hebrews as Batman. Batman voice. Yes. <laughs> Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Where's the trigger? Where is it? <laughs> Just him. Oh my God! It'd be it'd be fantastic. He's where's the golden calf? Where is it? <laughs> anyway, with, with with that, I I I'll close out with the this last bit of entertainment news to just bring everything home. Um, it looks like The Rock is being lined up for a brand new franchise based on the books put out by Robert Ludlum, who did the uh, the Bourne series called the Jansen Directive. Um, obviously, very Jason Borg, uh, Jason Bourne. Uh, you know, very similar um, with the rocks character playing a uh, consular ops agent who retires from covert operations due to, um, you know, the number of sanctioned serial killings. And then all of a sudden, you know, he um, he's, he goes back into the field to take assignments to only help people in need. Kind of like, um, you know, like a uh, shit. What's that show on TV now with the, with the guy that tries to solve the crimes before they happen on channel two well well the the thing with this is you know you're you're trying to create a jason Bourne style character for the rock and the problem with that is that the rock is in so many films right now and i mean i the concept is cool and i think it would work but he's he's in so many established series right now you, you know you, you're he's in the fast and furious series he's in hercules supposedly he's working on something with dc you know what I mean? He's in so many different places that to try and tie him into a franchise, much like Matt Damon was stuck in Born, is 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 good and bad because you're you're trying to get a guy invested in a character in the long haul. And in The Rock's case, he's starting to become a high demand actor. So you're you're trying to say, hey, we want you attached to this project, and it's like, yeah, it's great, but you know, you're trying to strike while the iron is hot with a guy that's extremely marketable. Yeah, I mean. You don't want to, you don't want to, like, um, ruin the, the, the rocks welcome, which for a guy like that would be rough to do, but it could still happen. 
Yep. Because right now it's like I know he's doing San Andreas, Fast Seven, um, you know Hercules, which is done. Supposedly he's doing something for DC. It, you know what I mean? So it, it's it's a very weird time. I mean, if if people if Hollywood had their way, they'd try and put him in everything. But there's not enough months in the calendar. You know. Basically. All right. Well, with that, the, I, um, go ahead. Other than the last thing I would say on the bringing the Bible to the screen type thing is, if you want to bring these stories to the screen, I, I would I wouldn't mess with the Bible again because it's um it's just a double edged sword. Yep. All that controversy that it stirs up. Yep. Is basically it, it's it's press. It, it's you you're doing your own. You're making other people do your your press for you and get the word out on the movie, make them want to see it. But I wouldn't mess with the Bible because there's so much, so much, um, such a wealth of other mythology that you can use. Yep. Even stories that that are similar to Bible stories that, you know, I do something like the you know the the story of Gilgamesh or something like that. Right. That that's something you can turn into an action movie. Right. I wouldn't mess with the Bible because it's just, it's not, it's, it's too risky. Even True. today, after all the stuff that's been done, it's just still too risky. And especially since, you know, when you go into to certain religions, you know, you, you start messing with people that are really, really serious about you not fucking with their religion. Yep, I agree. I so understand 100%. I, I would, I would if, if it were up to me, if I were making the movies, I would go into more secular mythological stories that have never been touched before because, I mean, there's so much out there that you could do that it's not already done as far as movies, but nobody seems to want to do it. No, let's, let's just remake something again because we have no creativity. No, I understand. I mean, you raise a, a lot of valid points. Like I said, I... I'm going to I'm going to try and um, post that trailer but if you get a chance see it for yourself and you'll see how fucking crazy it is. Will do. There you go. Anything else you want to add my friend? Yeah, man, here's the five more years. There you go. Hi right, buddy. Thank you for the assist. All right, talk to you later. Peace. All right, that was Slick. You can follow Slick on Twitter at MTR Slick and of course you can find his content on mytakeradio.com and you can always interact with him on our Facebook fan page. All right, so uh, we went into pretty much almost the three-and-a-half-hour mark, probably touching four hours, so let's take it home, shall we? You've just heard My Take Radio episode 235 for Thursday, July 10th, 2014. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, feel free to reach out via email, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you prefer to use social media, My Take Radio is on Twitter, at My Take Radio. You can also find us on Facebook, Google Plus, and Pinterest. If you want to keep up with all my craziness, you can also follow me on Instagram. It's My Take Radio underscore Rich. So My Take Radio, the line, uh, which is underscore and rich. Sometimes I got to tell people what underscore is. Don't mind me. I got to account for everybody. So try to help them out with that. Anyway. For the complete My Take Radio experience, I recommend you pick up the official My Take Radio app. It is $1.99. It gives you access to 96K stereo episodes of My Take Radio, plus original content, including our interview series, My Take Radio Behind the Mic and My Take Radio Beyond the Mic. Uh, we published a brand new installment of Behind the Mic this week with Renegade Radio's Jay Ferruja. I recommend you check it out. Awesome interview. For those of you that have the official My Take Radio app, you've probably had it 
you've probably heard it or you've had that episode probably for about two weeks now. So there you have it. Again, feel free to reach out if you want to be a guest or you're interested in advertising with us. You can email me, like I said, at mytakeradio.com. Otherwise, you can find My Take Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, TuneIn Marketplace, and any of your other podcatching services. If you are getting the show off of iTunes, please take a moment and review the show. We would really appreciate it. All right, guys, so that's going to wrap it up. On behalf of myself, Slick, Quark, Blade, Ben, uh, Larry Mack, Andrea, of course, Josh, and the rest of the MTR family, thank you guys for supporting us for the last five years. Here's to five more years. I will catch you guys next week. All right, let's get the hell out of here. Peace. All right, music for this week. We are going to go with something. Uh, I think we were going to we give our friends at OC Remix a break this week, and we're going to go out with um, our friends from Artificial Fear, and uh, I'm sure you guys are going to recognize this particular song. See you guys next week. Mm-hmm.